0: This episode of Recording Studio Rockstars is brought to you by OWC, Whisper Room, and Eventide. So get ready to rock.
1: Don't ever take anything too lightly. Don't ever take anything for granted in the studios. Like, things can go wrong so quickly. You have to maintain your focus all the time. As I went through my career and, and you know, in, in recording early on and then mastering, it's like, it is something I think about where you're like... You know, it's just every time you think you got to figure it out is when something jumps up and bites you. So you really do have to be, have to be vigilant.
0: Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. If you're sick of bothering the neighbors when you are trying to record your music or ruining your recordings with outside noises, but you're not ready to spend a ton of money on permanent studio construction yet, then consider getting a Whisper Room ISO booth for your studio. Whisper Room offers the instant solution for a comfortable, quiet, ventilated, portable ISO booth with easy line of sight for recording vocals, guitar amps, or even drums. Get 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 booth when you mention recording studio rock stars. Go to whisperroom.com or click the link in the show notes below. What do Michael Brower, Joe Ciccarelli, Mike Gazowski, Dave Pensato, and George Massenburg all have in common? They all have great things to say about Eventide. Originating in a New York City basement in 1971 with the original Instant Phaser and H910 Harmonizer, Eventide continues to transform the sound of music with the iconic H9000 Harmonizer, visionary guitar effects like the H9 pedal, and now a whole suite of incredible plugins for your studio. Go to eventide.com to learn more or click the link in the show notes below. This episode is sponsored by OWC, Otherworld Computing, which you can find at OWC.com, your trusted source for memory and speed upgrades, DIY installs, and used Macs for your studio. Let OWC focus on keeping your studio Mac in killer condition so that you can focus on making great music. Why ditch your existing Mac when you can take your studio far into the future with OWC? Learn more at OWC.com and learn how you can supercharge your studio Mac. The speed to create, the capacity to dream. Find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. Hey Rockstars, it's your host, Lid Sean. Welcome back to Recording Studio Rockstars, bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Ryan Smith, a mastering engineer at Sterling Sound. He's mastered records for a wide array of artists, including Greta Van Fleet, L. King, and AC DC. Ryan Smith began his journey in the world of audio when he moved to New York City in 1995. And in the late 90s, he moved through various recording studio gigs and other, quote, audio odd jobs around New York City. This eventually led to a job as an assistant engineer at the Manhattan's Right Track Recording where Ryan had the opportunity to work alongside legendary engineers and producers, including Phil Ramone, Arif Martin, Russ Teitelman, and Frank Filippetti. In 2002, Ryan made the move to mastering. He joined Sterling Sound, where he's been for the past 17 years. Early in his time at Sterling, Ryan spent time working alongside both Ted Jensen and the late George Marino. In addition to digital mastering, Ryan learned the art of vinyl mastering and lacquer cutting from George. During the current resurgence of vinyl, Ryan has become one of the most in-demand vinyl specialists around the world. After more than 20 years in New York, Sterling's 2018 move and expansion led Ryan to Nashville, Tennessee, right around the corner, literally, in my neighborhood here, where he and Ted Jensen opened Sterling's newest studio operation on Nashville's east side. I'm excited to talk with Ryan today about his mastering journey, but also really dig into what we can learn about doing some mastering ourselves. Of course, the best mastering comes from a trained professional, but let's see what we can also learn about what to do when we don't quite have a budget yet and we just still need to make our mixes sound great. Also, a big thank you to Mark Pirro for making our introduction. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Please welcome Ryan Smith to Recording Studio Rockstars. Ryan, are you ready to rock? I am, Lidge. Dude, you, you you are ready to rock. And you know, honestly, by definition of what you do, if we're not quite ready to rock, mm-hmm. you're the one who like, takes it to the next level Make makes sure that we do rock. Okay.
1: Got it. <laughs> Roger.
0: Um, maybe... Uh, Tell us a little bit more about how you started out in recording. How did you, you know, share a couple of quick stories about getting from through that journey to being here in Nashville?
1: Um, Well, I moved to New York, uh, like basically right when I was out of school. I had just gone to music school, no technology program or anything like that, just a straight, uh, I was a saxophone player. Um, But I had had an internship in in a music, in a recording studio. And uh, I moved back to New York to to work in that studio, and it was sort of like it was a really small, it a little more than a project studio, but definitely not a full commercial operation. So I was kind of like half employed there, and then, like I said in my in my bio, um, I do I used to like refer to it as audio uh, jobs, which was like, you know, like a live sound gig there, or like some kind of weird like live recording there, helping with like load ins, load outs. I worked for an audio rental company for a while.
0: I just. You know, I did whatever, that stuff too. whatever I could do, you know, to be able to afford to live in New York. just you know. walking in Nashville recently, I realized that like a spot where I was paid like, you know, fifty bucks to build some complicated um soldered together, Mike Snake is probably now like a million dollars a square foot downtown. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. yeah,
1: it, yeah, that kind of stuff <laughs> so um, but eventually, you know i w- I kind of bounced around and worked in a, a several like smaller studios in New York and like um. That Eventually, led to working at Right Track, which is one of the bigger commercial facilities of Manhattan at the time. Unfortunately, now closed along with a lot of the rest of Manhattan's big studios. Um, and you know, that kind of recording studio assistant gig was kind of your typical low pay, super long hours, but like, but really, really good experience. So, and I met a lot of people and you know, when I kinda got to the end of my rope with like doing that kind of grilling schedule, I started like just asking people who I had worked with, uh, different engineers, I'd be like, you know, if you hear of anything that would be a good I need to I need to move on to something else. And it just kinda happened that Sterling was looking for something at someone at that time, which, you know, was pretty fortunate for me. And uh and I had always been kind of intrigued by mastering. I think it's you know, it might be a little less mysterious than it once was just because you know, a lot of people were doing it on their own and there's lots of like plugins you can do it with, you know, back then it was. Also because
0: there's awesome people like you are on podcasts now telling yeah, us Yeah, exactly. All about, right. Revealing
1: all the secrets and pulling back the curtain <laughs> <laughs> on the dark art of mastering. But, um, yes, yeah, so I, I didn't like fully, you know, I mean, I knew what it was, but didn't like really know like how it was done or anything like that. But I was, I was game to try it. And, you know, yeah, I basically got hired as Ted Jensen's assistant, which, you know, he's kind of a legend of mastering. So
0: you kind of didn't seem like a,
1: it seemed like a wise opportunity to take. (laughs) And
0: uh, so at that point you were known as being an excellent assistant. So therefore you were qualified to be an assistant. And I felt a little like I was maybe a little stuck in that assistant
1: role as you know i kind of you know, always dreamed i'd be like you know a big recording engineer mix engineer whatever and and kind of found myself like kind of running up against that like oh he's such a great assistant so you, almost like no one wanted to like let you go yeah. from that role yeah and it's hard that's it can be a hard thing to break out so for me making kind of like a lateral shift into mastering was was a good way to sort of break that and uh right and it turned out i think it was a good a good move for me in terms of just kind of the way my brain works and um you could yeah. almost
0: you could almost suggest that moving from assistant to you know number one engineer or producer in the recording studio involves maybe being present more often outside of the studio at, with the musicians, you know, getting known yeah. for being a mu- musical creative. Whereas, like maybe in mastering, just simply being at the studio sort of begins to qualify you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As well, you know? absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah you know, there's opportunities and. Uh you know i mean it it definitely helps working for a company with a reputation like sterling i mean we just turned 50 this year and or last year i guess 68 to 18 so um you know when i came on it was like they they had been around for about for over 30 years and um so it kind of gives you a little bit of a little bit of cachet too yeah totally <laughs> you know, just and even and even even as someone who's just starting out
0: sterling so i mean we're going to learn more about it today but it, but um my perspective is that it's so brilliant the way sterling sound has um Expanded and, and it's and rather than b- there being room for one mastering engineer and now there's two people competing for one slot. It's like we just have two rooms, you know, two different engineers yeah. to work with. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's, cool. a, it's a
1: pretty cool, pretty cool place because mastering can be a little bit of a of a solitary gig. You kind of I mean a lot of times, especially these days, people don't even come in for the sessions. They're just like you know FTPing you files from wherever. They could be you know and we we have clients in yeah, you know, we have clients down the street in Nashville, like you, and I've got clients in China. You know, so, yeah. um, so it can be a little bit lonely, but so working in a place where there are other engineers and other studios there, it's that's a that's a super big bonus. You can talk with other engineers about stuff and bounce ideas off people. Like, you know, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? And um, yeah, it's a it's a that's a pretty big advantage. than, yeah. you know that I think that we we have going on.
0: And I had been to the Sterling studio in new york which was i forget what floor it was like eighth floor or something yeah it was on the sixth floor of the chelsea market building and yeah we got in
1: we got in there before that neighborhood really was anything it was still the meat packing district at that point i mean they still call it that but there's not a lot of meat being packed there anymore No, no, (laughs) but there was back then so it was kind of a dump and um and in the 20 years we were there it like became like pretty much like one of the hottest neighborhoods in Manhattan. And yeah, I mean, starting so it,
0: with like the big walkway that goes. Yeah, the High Line. The, the west side there. Yeah. So yeah, so when I started there, that
1: it was, that's basically an elevated railroad line. That was like, just like a trashed, like abandoned railroad line. And then they reclaimed it into a park. And,
0: yeah, so. and it became like a biking walking path. Mm-hmm, so it's yeah. very cool. But I guess what I was going to get at is that um, when I visited Sterling, mm-hmm. you know, you guys have all these studios where you're sort of, behind closed doors while you're working. But then it was a great lounge area and a place for, to yeah. hang out in the middle. And, you know, yeah, we had a big common kitchen. Bagels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: we, had, we always had food. There's always like, you know, there's always breakfast stuff and like, you know, stuff that, you know, good coffee and a nice big open kitchen. So yeah, so people would go out and hang out. And so like, you'd see the other guys working there. You'd see the other people's clients. You you know, to, you know there were like, there's, there was always just like people there and hanging out. And yeah, so it, it, it makes for a a pretty cool place to work and very cool.
0: So you had your own studio in that location and then moved to Nashville for the new one as well.
1: Uh, yeah. So, um, after a few years working with Ted, um, I shifted over and worked with George Marino and he had kind of gone to like, he was, you know, moving on in his career. So he had cut down to three days a week. So I kind of had like the other two days and then I worked nights when, on the days he was there. Um, and then also sort of assisted him, like kind of helped him like, you know, keep up with his sessions and all that with so he didn't have to work so hard since you know
0: do you want to give us an introduction to who George Marino is? Yeah so George was um
1: George is a mastering engineer he started at Sterling in the early 70s. He's like one of the original Sterling guys. And um I mean if you just look at his like you know wiki page or whatever you'll see his cre- I mean his credits are like it's like a who's who of like rock records from the 70s and 80s. I mean oh, it's nice. I, I came not even like it's yeah he's he was like he was one of the greatest and and a just an amazing vinyl cutter. Um, you know, the first record he did when he moved to Sterling was the Allman brothers, brothers and sisters. Wow. Which I mean, that, and it just goes, it just gets better from there. Do you remember,
0: uh, I imagine there were probably a lot of records on the wall. Do you remember one that you just particularly loved the cover of back then? Um, Oh yeah. Um,
1: geez, so many. Um, you know, uh, Greg Calbi, who had the studio next to me, he did Tom Petty's "Damn the Torpedoes" and also "Hard Promises," which both those record, I love those record covers. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of basic. They're just like Tom with like a little, but it's just like I can remember both those being up on the wall. Just just, iconic, like yeah, like so. Um nice So, anyway, so I worked with George for and until he passed away in two thousand twelve, and then I just and kind of inherited the room myself since then. So I've, so I've been um yeah, on my own, had my own studio at Sterling since then.
0: Now I think you said in your bio that you really learned a lot about mastering vinyl from George. Yeah. So um, I know you get a lot of chance, maybe too much chance to talk about vinyl. So yeah. we can keep it brief if you want. Yeah, but sure. Tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe also um, let us know what your connection with Mark Pirro is. Yeah, Sh- sure. Shout out to you, Mark. Yeah, sure. Um,
1: so, you know, vinyl, like, you know, kind of came close to dying in like the late nineties and early like it was kind of just kept alive by, you know, like DJs, club music, and then maybe like, you know, like kind of boutique audiophile kind of stuff. But when it, so we, at Sterling, I mean, at one point we had, I don't even know how many lays, more than 10, you know, cause that's what, what mastering was, but wow. they got rid of almost all of them. We were down to one and around, I guess 2005 or six, whatever, we kind of sensed this resurgence coming. We were like, wow, we're getting more call for this. And we're getting people, you know, yeah. You know, we're just getting more call for vinyl, so we bought another lathe.
0: How how long was the downtime window? What was the bear market for, <laughs> for vinyl? <laughs> I'm
1: not sure when. Is it like a decade? I mean, of, when I started at Sterling, at, at Sterling in 02, it was it was really low. I'm not sure how much before that it hit It had, it had already gone away. I mean, most of the the main guys at Sterling had stopped cutting by that point. And we just had one guy who basically did all the cutting from digital masters for them for, for the most part. And this is like, you know, this probably and that probably goes to like the late nineties to the early two thousands. So that's around
0: where the, you know, the 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 deepest dip was. Um but I'm, I'm always sort of curious if it was a about a decade, you know, because it's yeah, like, you know there was a there was a dip in interest in analog gear, you know, Neve went was not interesting for Mm -hmm. a while and then came back again. I mean, actually, I I shouldn't say that lightly. People probably always love Neve, but, you know, there was like all this resurgence of vintage gear with eBay. Mm -hmm. Um, I think same thing with with keyboards and synths. Those kind of went away for a while and then came back. Yeah, I mean, you'll find like if you go back to records, like especially like rock records
1: in like the mid to late 90s, like a lot of times there wasn't even a vinyl release at all. They just, you know, by that point, and also it was kind of like made worse because with CDs, you could make things longer and then they didn't really fit on a single LP anymore and no one, and, you know, if people weren't interested in putting out a single LP, they certainly weren't interested in putting out a double. You know, because CDs, a lot of times, like records are like an hour long or more and 40 minutes is more ideal for for an LP. So, yeah, so that's really, that was sort of like, you know, the dark days for vinyl. The dark days. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but we got, so we bought a second lathe in, I think 2007, maybe when we kind of sensed it coming back and we put it, we installed it into George's room. Cause he was kind of like, he hadn't been doing it for, for many years. And it's like, it was, it's what he came up doing. It's like, that's what the name of, that's what mastering was when he started as a mastering engineer it was cutting lacquers, you know, from, from tapes. And so, um, we installed in his room and he got to, you know, kind of like refine that part of his of his craft and with me working in there i just was like i'm like you know i'm like i need to learn this can i
0: refine that with you (laughs) yeah
1: so so he i mean he really showed me how to do it and you know i i it's i wish he hadn't hadn't gone so quickly because there's you know a lot of questions i didn't get to ask him about it because it's it's a pretty intricate thing but um you know but he definitely he gave me all the all the the building blocks for it and uh and then all his records are out there that you can listen to and you can you know kind of compare yourself against those two, you know? So
0: so would you um actually pull up his, the records that he had done in the past and pull them up on, I guess you wouldn't play them back on the cutting lathe? Oh, you could
1: actually. I mean, in, in a way the cutting lathe is sort of the reference because that's kind of how you – Align your cutting system was by having a playback system on the lathe,
0: but you know we have a, di- a couple different playbacks. But but you would you would listen to those records in the mastering studio in Georgia, sure, room. sure. And
1: well, and you know a lot of what we've gotten a lot of work from with the vinyl resurgence is is reissues. It, you know, a records a lot of records are out of print, so now there's this whole um, there's this whole uh, part of the market for you know put re- putting out reissues of of old records and. At Sterling, we they pre, they kept most of the cutting notes from like for always from all times. Oh, that's cool. That's <laughs> so we had cool. these these file cabinets like this full of cutting notes. So like there were times when I would be called on to remaster a record, and I'd go pull out the note. And it was George's cut. I could look at his notes. Now they didn't really necessarily correlate exactly because like the tapes age, or it might not have the exact same tape because the original master might be missing or gone. So you're cutting from a copy or something like that. And the equipment's different, but you can at least kind of like see generally what what they what they did and what he did, and you know, so it's it's pretty interesting,
0: kind of remarkable, considering that I would probably struggle to go find an old photo that I had on my computer from even you know yeah six years yeah. ago, right? Now. Well, it's
1: interesting. They used to keep the cutting notes uh, sorted um, by label, by record label. So it wasn't, and it wasn't off. And then it would just,
0: they would just put them in by like. Oh, so you needed to know what label that was on. Yeah, on originally. And, and they would just do it by record.
1: date. Like they wouldn't put it, they wouldn't alphabetize it. So just it they would just like, the newest ones were in the front and the oldest ones were in the back. So you go in and be like, oh, this was on Columbia originally. So you're going through the, like the Columbia thing. And you're like, well, it, it was a Columbia and it came out in nineteen, you know, seventy-eight. So you're kind of like going through, okay, 81, 80, 70, oh, 78. And then you kind of go through and then you, hopefully you find it. Some of them
0: were missing, but most of them are there. What do you think is the simplest way? If you were just going to advise somebody, you're like, listen, I don't know exactly what you're doing, but here's a good way to think about keeping your files for the projects you're working on so that 15 years from now, you can go back and find it. How would you well, organize?
1: Well, I mean, it's funny, I, for, for, for vinyl, I still use those cards because there's something about having something tangible when you're doing um, live moves, um, that it's easier than than trying to like flip through something on a computer screen. But for my digital mastering, I have like, I have a, I mean, mastering is a little bit easier than like maybe a mix studio where we've got like a whole bunch of outboard gear. Like I've got, you know, I'm dealing with two channels. So um, I have a spreadsheet that's all my gear and everything's, I mean, everything I have is like, you know, stepped. So, so I just fill all that out. So I've got, I've got spreadsheets going back to, you know, when I started at Sterling for all my projects and I can easily pull them up. And I kind of have a form that I, that I made, say, so put them like, you know.
0: So that form has all the answers to the questions you might have. Exactly. Ask. Exactly. But, but I'm going this, my question is really dumb. Mm-hmm. Where, like literally, what would you call the organization of folders so that you could go back and find your way I just do it by stuff? year
1: and then, and name, and name the, the, the spreadsheet by the artist name. I mean, okay. It's cool. That simple. <laughs> would you would you
0: put all the years into like a folder that's just the artist name? So you'd like start by no, looking. No. So for so, the so I have like
1: I have like you know for this year I've got like like EQ logs 2019, and inside that there's a, there's a file for each project. It's a, a you know it's a spreadsheet. So like right, for the, right. the project we worked on together, it says David Rogers. Yeah, and the date that we that we did the initial mastering and then there's like a sheet for each song. And,
0: and then there's a note and you're like, no EQ exclamation point. They just mix. we so yeah. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Cut flat. <laughs> awesome. So. Um, all right. Uh quick question about vinyl. Mm-hmm. When you listened to vinyl playback in Georgia's studio, your studio, um, versus digital, what turns you on about it? What 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 do you hear? Um uh what do you
1: like about well, vinyl? Well, when it's done right, it really, it's, when it's done really well, It the music really just kind of comes alive off it. I feel like it really jumps. It's got this kind of excitement that, um, I feel like sometimes we try to engineer into digital recordings, but, but there's something about, to make something sound good on vinyl, you kind of ha- you can't just, blast it like you can like people do these days with with digital you kind of have to be artful about what's going to make it sound like loud and punchy and all that you can't just like compress the hell out of it and then it sounds exciting to somebody so things when things are done really well on vinyl those guys you know the guys who are the best at cutting you know back when cutting was the thing guys like george ted greg kalby bob ludwig bernie grumman guys like that doug Sachs. i mean they just knew they knew how to eq things so that it came off that format just with this incredible sense of life and so not all vinyl sounds great if you don't if you don't know how to do that well i've pl- i've heard plenty you know. of vinyl that doesn't sound so great <laughs> yeah cuz some people some people make blanket statements oh vinyl's so much better than digital well i think vinyl can be you know but it but it's not always and yeah. it's it's got to be done by someone who understands like you know what it's going to like what you need to do how you need to kind of like um it, it's yeah. it's the, not the same for every project but you, it just it takes some some experience and yeah
0: I remember back in the 90s there was a um habit of just taking a record that had just been like you know finished for CD mm-hmm. and I think we were even just still at the at the early stages of discovering how to even make stuff sound good on CD at that point sure and um, and then a band would just take that and just do like a an instant transfer right over to vinyl, and I'd hear those records, you know, an indie band or something. I'm like, God, mm. oh, sounds horrible. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah. But but it might have had the vibe. Might have been good at the party. <laughs> right, right, right.
1: Well, and de- you know, and depending on how the how the digital is mastered, sometimes it works.
0: You right. know? Right. But
1: not all. But it's, but you know. But it takes it takes a little bit of. a a finesse and and know how to get it so that when it, when you play it back, it it really, it really pops.
0: And then I had a, an an old roommate from architecture school who, um, I remember he went off, this is a shout out to you, Sedge, if you're listening to this, (laughs) but, um, but for a, for a stretch there, he was out of college and he was working in architecture, but he was, he was always a big music fan. We were, we were together, you know, we'd listen to, Mm -hmm. we were like, Comparing cassette tape formats of rush records and stuff like that. <laughs> nice. But he spent all his money, because he was living at home for a while, just on his stereo. And he was like, dude, you gotta hear vinyl. And I was like, Really? What? You know, what's it all about? And I went and visited him. And he had, you know, the clear plexiglass turntable. Mm-hmm. And it was an air cushion that went over to the closet for a pump out of the way. And then these big, gorgeous speakers. And I think he put on like kind of blue or something like that. And and we just listened to it and I was like, holy crap. I had no idea music could sound that good coming out of a pair of speakers. And it was a transparency. It was like a realism. Mm -hmm. Like you said, it was just, it came to life. Yeah. Yeah. Recording Studio Rockstars Academy is the place you can go to take your recording, mixing, and mastering to the next level. And you can start right now with my free introduction to mixing course, Mix Master Bundle. This course will show you how to get pro-sounding mixes from your home studio with free and stock plugins in Pro Tools. And the best part is that these mixing techniques will work for you in any DAW, whether you are in Logic, Cubase, PreSonus Studio One, Reaper, or anything else. Are you ready to make your best record ever? Then go to Mixmaster Bundle to get started for free now, or look for the clickable link in the show notes of this episode. Um, let's talk about Mark. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, so uh, Mark
1: uh, works for Razor & Tie, but he runs a little, like a, like a sub-label for them called Analog Spark. And he so he does just that. He does reissues of old records on vinyl and then uh, some SACD things as well, but mainly vinyl. So yes, I've worked with him on a handful of things. Uh, He actually, they've, they've done a, they've kind of done some little more unusual. I mean, like you said, kind of blue, like that's like sort of the one we always laugh about, like cutting guys about like with reissues, like it's the record that's been like reissued like a thousand times. And (laughs) you know, and like, this is no, this is the best one ever. No, this is the best one. Yeah. Yeah. So you know mark i think has tried to do some things that other reissue labels haven't done he's done a bunch of like old broadway soundtracks he's done some classical things and then also some things kind of from that dark era that i was talking about where um like in the in the mid to late 90s early thought early 2000s where um things didn't get a vinyl release or if they did it was a really shoddy you right. know kind right. of afterthought you know um release so um yeah, so he and I have worked on a bunch of stuff. And what's
0: the name of that label again? The, the analog, analog Spark. Analog Spark. Gravy. Yeah. Um. All right. Very cool. Uh, just to very, very quickly, um, to the rock stars. If you were to say, "Hey, you're not you're not into vinyl now, but you're really curious. What advice do you have for just getting started in it? As far as like be, becoming a listener first? Um,
1: get yourself at least a decent turntable. Don't be fooled by things that cost like, you know, $50, um, you you know, it's, you it'll be disappointing. Um, you you don't have to spend a thousand dollars on a turntable, but you know, you probably have to spend, you know, two or $300 just to get something that's like, that's a real thing. Um, learn how to set it up. There's videos online so that, you know, you can, you know, get the tracking force balance and all that and all the other little adjustments. Um, That'll just be informative and kind of a fun thing to do. Good, good little project. And, um, you know, and then from there, it's like, I mean, it's fun cause you can go, I mean, it's so much more accessible now. You, like there are, there are record stores again, there's places online to buy new vinyl. And then there's, then you can also, it's fun to go like crate digging and all that and try to find like, you yeah. know, diamonds in the rough and you find like your favorite record from when you were like in sixth grade or whatever. And, yeah, you know, that's and take it home and listen to it. That's all right. Here, kind of here's too. a dumb
0: question for you. So, I tried to, um, I did get an old uh, vintage dual, I mean, vintage like 60s, 70s or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it was a dual turntable, and I tried to set it up in my living room, and I couldn't even walk up to the record player without everything skipping and going crazy and haywire. Mm-hmm. Um, what tips for uh, struggling with that, like, okay, I got this record player. Where, where the heck do I put it in my Well, I mean, the more room. solid
1: of a base you can have it on, the better, you know? So, I mean, you know, and everyone, we're all limited by, you know, the furniture we have and how much of money you want to spend on new furniture or whatever. But, um, yeah, having it on something that's like as solid as possible is good because that'll kind of help, um, you know, if, you, if there's any kind of way you can do any kind of uh, shock absorption or whatever. Um you know, the turntable I have has got like this, kind of, it's built into it. It's got like sort of like a feet that, you know, kind of do a little bit of that. Um, one of the turntables we have at the studio, we have on a big block of granite. That's probably a little bit excessive for your average
0: listener. You know, that's sort of the antithesis of what they would have up at the square dance that I used to go to as a mm-hmm. kid growing up. Um, Cause everybody's dancing around in a big, uh, is a yacht club with a big old wooden floor. Um, I just dated myself, didn't I? <laughs> and, and then um and, but then they'd have a turntable, they bring it in to play back the records, and they just brought in a, a big hunk of yellow, like uh, foam, and then they just set the turntable on that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this I was mean, Just kind of isolating you know, it a little bit. I mean, yeah, so if you can get it on something
1: solid, that's good. And then, like I said, learn how to adjust it. If you get, you know, if the tracking force is too light, then it's it'll skip, it'll be more prone to skipping from, like, you know, somebody jumping around the room. All right. So. But I mean, it's also, it's, I mean, if you like are like hopping up and down right next to it, it's like, it's, it, Probably it's going to skip. skip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like not much you can do about it.
0: But Cool. All right. So the so encouragement bad. is Lidge, don't give up so easy. Yeah. <laughs> Try again. Um, Groovy, let's keep jumping forward. Um, mm-hmm. What else do you want to tell? Tell us about your studio down here now. You just moved to Nashville. Yeah. Built a beautiful room.
1: Yeah. So um – yeah, so Sterling, uh, we had to move out of our space in Manhattan that we talked about earlier. Our, our lease had, had come due, and so because we they, all need to
0: search for things on Google, isn't that isn't that yes, what it was? Yes, yes, yeah. Google. I, think I just I'm, I'm Google now as uh, being an insider, but Google bought the building or something. They right?
1: bought the entire building. Yeah, so
0: um,
1: yeah, so they're there. We're gone, and uh, so you know, we our the the Sterling owners were trying to figure out where to where to put these. You know, where put six new studios in Manhattan. And uh, they were looking at different options, and uh, Ted, who's one of the owners, d- he decided he he wanted to get out of New York. He'd been there his whole life, and he just he wanted something new. He had spent a decent amount of time in Nashville over the last several years, and really liked it. So he kind of made the decision, like, I'm going to go to Nashville, and you know, that was you know, and that's that. And um, so initially I think he was going to come by himself and then they were like, you yeah, know, it might be kind of cool if we had like more of like a real, like a full facility in Nashville as opposed to just like Ted has this like little satellite studio and everybody else is still in the New York area. So they asked me if I wanted to go and um, you know, I I was hesitant for about a half an hour and then after, you know, checking out Nashville online a little bit, got really intrigued, came down here a couple of times and was like, yeah, I think we want to do this. And uh, so we jumped in and it was a bit of a, it was a process, obviously moving a studio that had been uh, that was you know on the sixth floor and a building in Manhattan for twenty years, and you know moving out of that, building two new facilities. So we have four studios in Edgewater, New Jersey, which is just right across the Hudson River from Manhattan, and then we put two down here in, in Nashville and um, totally new um, room designs that were done by. Uh, by Thomas Junjun of Northward Acoustics and kind of interesting thing we did is that all six rooms are essentially identical including the mo- the monitoring um we kind of like uh in the past we had all the all the the studio built the rooms themselves were the same but each engineer picked his own speakers and uh amps and all that and um but uh the way this uh, particular designer does it, he installs um, ATC's soffit mounted in the, in like a, a glass front yeah, wall. Yeah, it's really cool looking. Um, so it kind of turns the whole the room into like a, into like a its own uh,
0: monitoring system, as opposed to like a room that instead of a room that you're putting speakers in. Yeah, the room is part of the the room, Yeah, the system, it, right?
1: the speakers in the room are like one unit. Um, it's it's sort of taking that guesswork out of like you know normally you would put um you put your speakers into a room, you kind of move them around, try to find a sweet spot for them and, you know, all that. Um, but then that's sort of taking that's sort of taking something away from the designer in terms of his ability to treat the room because it's not really predictable. Right. He, doesn't know where yeah, the, good point. he doesn't know what the speakers are going to do because he doesn't know everybody's speakers and he doesn't know where you're
0: going to put them. Now, does this mean that um, you could potentially – move from one room to the other and it would sound similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was I mean, that was another one of the, the things is just that we could, you know, we could float from studio to studio. The only difference between the Nashville studios and the um the New Jersey studios are there's a slight size difference. The New Jersey ones are, are slightly smaller, but that just kinda had to do with the footprint of the building. But um but it's the cool. exact the, same speaker. That harkens and,
0: back almost to like um the origin of Westlake days where they started building matching studios around the world so you could be in a different location yeah, and hear yeah. what where you left off. Yeah. So so yeah, it's worked out really good. I mean, you know, always
1: switching rooms is um, is challenging. But now that, I mean, we've been in for, a, a, we've been working solidly for over a year now. We started, you know, basically at the beginning of last summer. Um, and now it feels, I can't even... Imagine another room at this point. You know, it's like it's the memory of the old room is gone <laughs> and the new room is is pretty ingrained. And I, um, yeah, that's I'm how I feel happy. about my old
0: Pro Tools systems.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those first few weeks, right? You're like, oh, I just want the old one back. Yeah, totally, you know? totally. I'm like, wow. Um, this
0: isn't as fast. Yeah. Maybe it's
1: just me. <laughs> so, but it's, it's been, it's really been great.
0: And the move to Nashville has been
1: great. It's a great town. Loving and living here. Cool, man. Well, we're
0: glad to have you here. Thank you. I mean, it was a trip to uh, find out that our kids were going to the same school (laughs) and playing in the same band and being in the same musicals uh, for a minute there. Yeah. Um, But very cool. Uh, Let's see. You know, so you got a beautiful place. We just went over there and worked on the David Rogers record. It was just awesome to sit back and listen to you work. And um, I guess luckily, I've I've been doing this long enough to know that I don't need to get involved. And I definitely don't need to ask you a bunch of questions <laughs> while you're working. <laughs> I just need to listen and enjoy quietly, you know, right. and, uh, take a few, ins- uh, a few, um, silent Instagram selfies at the same time from the studio. Um, but maybe, uh, if you want, uh, let's talk about that for a sec. You know, sure. we just did, um, David Rogers doorways. Uh, of course, we'll be listening to this a little later, but, um, what, what was it like to receive a record like that? I'm just looking for compliments here. No, honestly, <laughs> what, what, what's it like for you to have a brand new client, brand new record attendance session coming in and how, how do you approach it so that, cause you, your level of confidence and the, the skill and methods at which we went from the beginning of the day to the end and everything was done just right. were transparent, you know, but how do you describe it from your, your end? Well, it's exciting to have
1: you know to work with a new client um it's it's with a new client, it's really helpful to have you guys come in because I can get a lot just from even just from talking and hanging out at the beginning, like not even talking about like frequencies or anything dumb like that but um you know th- that's always the trickiest thing with mastering is just trying to figure out like what does this person this artist this producer engineer want from this record and um so that's sort of, you know, when you're working on your own, it it's can be really hard because, you know, sometimes like, you, make, you, might get want? A, you might get an email <laughs> oh. of notes, but, you know, even that's a little bit tricky. Sorry, I said so, you when
0: you're working on your own record. <laughs> oh, no. Uh,
1: no, I mean, when I'm working as an unattended session. Um, so it was great having you guys come in because, you know, I got a, a pretty good sense uh, right away of what you were after. Um, I think David had mentioned a few bands that, you know, he kind of thought his, thing was in, in, uh, in the same similar vein as, and, uh, you know, the situation like that. Um, I, I think in that case, I listened to a couple of things before you guys even got there. Cause you had told me over email, but a lot of times people send you, you know, Oh yeah. You know, we want a record to sound like so-and-so, or we, you know, these are the things we reference.
0: Yeah. I bet your so- Apple music library is pretty extensive. At this yeah. Point.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah. All those, those services get, a, that, those things have actually, they're really handy because you can, you can really hear anything at a moment's notice just to, you know, cause a lot of times people reference things I had not heard of and you're like, Oh shit. But, um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's handy to, to have that. But, um, you know, I love having people in the studio cause I, I feel like it, I feel like it kind of helps focus me too. Cause sometimes you can, you know, just we, we live in a distracted age. <laughs> it's yeah. easy to get distracted by things and to, to maintain focus and so having someone there to like, is a constant reminder of of like, yeah, you know, what you're there to do. And, yeah, and it's it's nice, especially with those cool people to hang out with too. Yeah. yeah.
0: um, at Rockstars, I will uh, encourage you to um, embrace the fact that uh, in the professional world of making records, whether you're working with somebody and they're mixing or you're mixing for somebody else, um, there is a difference in attended and not attended sessions. And one very valuable difference is, Um, you're welcome to attend a session. And yes, it costs more if you do an attended session because things take longer too, you know, that's just the nature of it. So, um, just a, just a, a bit of a reinforcement of the importance of that. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, cool. So let's talk a little bit about what mastering is. If I was just to ask you a question, what is mastering? Mm -hmm. How would, how would you answer that?
1: Well, um, Good answer. <laughs> yeah, that's it.
0: You've never been asked that question. No, before. it's
1: it, you know I've I've been asked it a million times, and I'm always thinking of like the like the bet. It's like I, I always feel like a little dissatisfied with my answer, or I feel like it's a little. You need bit that like, perfect soundbite. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to call it down into into just a soundbite. I mean, so really, what mastering is is it's. Well, it's the last step in music production, right? It's the, when it leaves the mastering studio, it's going out for consumption in the world. So, so yeah. it's your last chance to 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 make whatever doesn't sound right sound right. It's your last chance to make everything sound cohesive. So you know, historically, mastering was was you know generally centered around albums, and you know, up recording phase, mixing stage, you're usually dealing with things one song at a time, right? It's like you know, sit down, you're going to cut this track, then you know, whether you're going to mix this track. And then at the end, you've got this pile of mixes that have all been done in different days. And sometimes, sometimes they've been done by different mixers in different or, studios. or different totally yeah, different studios, different production teams. Different references of what sounds good. Everything. So in mastering is when you're gonna to try to pull all that together and stop thinking of them, thinking of them as individual elements and start thinking of them as a unit as an album. So we're trying to EQ things so that the kind of tonality of the record is is somewhat consistent. Um, obviously doing levels so that things play through, um, and you don't have to turn your volume control up and down. Um, and then also just trying to, um, accentuate or, um, you know, make things sound better than, you know, try to get things that might've got missed. Like, you know, maybe in, you know, in the, uh, in the mix stage, like everything's well balanced, but you know, it was like lacking a little on the low end. So you're going to try to punch that up a little bit, or maybe add too much. Never, not
0: my records. Now, your
1: records are perfectly.
0: Never, perfect. never struggle with getting low end right.
1: <laughs> I mean, that, yes. And the low end is definitely a big part of mastering just because we do spend a lot of time on our monitoring setup and a lot of money on our monitoring setup. Yeah. So, and that's really, I mean, that's one of the big things is that we can really hear. In a a good mastering room, you can really hear the low end accurately, and most a lot of people, even in even in you know professional recording studios, it's that can be a struggle to get you know real accurate low end. So you know the the mixer kind of there's a bit of probably guesswork that has to go on, or like you know referencing at different places. So hopefully in mastering we can get that dialed in. be you know to be the best it can be.
0: Yeah. Well one thing uh, that you did very nicely is you made my new car sound great because I listened to the (laughs) masters mastered mixes and it's like, oh yeah, this is kicking, you know? Yeah. And then I go back and listen to my original mix it's like, okay. So it's like I would describe mastering from the perspective of the the you know the the artist or the mixer or the producer as like it just you just make shit sound better. I mean that's 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 sort of like that's
1: like that it's the soundbite you know I mean really um, that that's what you, that's what you're trying to do I mean you know, it can kind of run the gamut if it if things are really well done before they get to me then you're just trying to sort of like give it that little extra two three percent of of whatever it needs just to kind of like pop a little bit more and then sometimes things come in really rough and you're trying to really you know save it and turn it into something that sounds more professional than, than when it came in and, you know, in all points in between. So Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Groovy, well, we're going to definitely dig more into that and, and kind of break down, you know, some basic descriptions of how, how you're able to do things like that. But Before we do, let's keep talking about, um, you know, some of the history that you've had. And, and I like to ask also guests to share an inspirational quote on, mm-hmm. the, on the podcast. Have you got anything that you want to share that kind of get us excited about <laughs> hitting the studio and doing some mastering? Uh, well, you know, a a phrase
1: that always comes back to me is the first studio I worked in, um, the guy who who owned it, his name is Steve Gabori. He's a, he's a keyboard player. He had this phrase in the studio. He's like, nothing is simple. And it's like, that sounds like kind of a dumb phrase, but it's like, when you really think about it, it's like, it's, it's sort of like a, a call to like, don't take it. Don't ever take anything too lightly. Don't ever take anything for granted that, you know, you really have to be in the studios. Like things can go wrong so quickly. If you if you take everything you know if you you have to maintain your focus all the time to yeah. keep, you know and know, uh, yeah, I think when he first used to say that to me he would say it to me all the time nothing is simple remember that but, you know and I always thought it was, I was kind of thought it was kind of a flip little comment but as I went through my career and and you know and in, in recording early on and then mastering it's like it is something I think about where you're like. You know, it's just every time you think you got it figured out, is when something jumps up and bites you. So you really do have to be true, have to be vigilant. <laughs> true, and
0: I think about like the paradox or the you know the juxtaposition between simple and complex in the studio. Um, if I play one of your records and and I'm and I've got the volume turned up and I hear that one snare hit and it just sounds awesome, that moment for me was simple, mm-hmm. that listening moment. But all the things that went into that perfect balance to make me have that one snare drum to listen to were complex to get there. Absolutely. Or like a tracking session. Um, I, I've often described a tracking session as building the machine. Mm-hmm. So like if you've got a band in the studio, um, you first you need to build the machine. It's like this instrument that you're all playing together to capture the music. Yeah. And the simple thing is that that pinnacle moment where the performance happens and a single expression comes out on a guitar lick or a vocal note or something. And it just happens in that moment. That that's simple, but getting there is, is complex. Absolutely. And you, you got to do all the complex, complex stuff to be there at that moment. You know? Yeah.
1: Make it sound effortless.
0: Dig it, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good advice. Um, Tell us about some of the things that you remember learning from working with greats like uh, Phil, Moan, Phil Ramone, excuse me, and Arif Martin, Russ Titleman and Frank Filippetti. Um, Yeah, so when I worked at Right Track, I mean, it, I got, I was really lucky to work with
1: some of those guys who are, who are legends, <laughs> so to speak. Um, you know, I, I think you just, I really learned. Um, I think it actually served me well for, for mastering. Cause you know, in, in mastering you're always, you're, you're working in the service of somebody else of uh, they're bringing you something that's, that's mostly done. Um, and you're just trying to, you're, tr- you're trying to take that over the finish line. And I think being a recording studio assistant, you know, you're there, you know, you're, you're usually hired as, in as part of the studio package. And then, you know, this producer and artists are coming in from the outside. So you're, you're learning how to like take care of them and allow them to, to, as effortlessly as possible, make something great. So, uh, you know, the, those guys who were listed there were, you know, they had been in, around studios for a long time, a lot longer than I had at that point, and they were used to a certain level of like. Walking in and
0: having everything just be right, right, right. They, and the record was, might not be done, but their understanding of what equals great yeah, was yeah, done.
1: And and, they, and when they, when they walked in the in the room in the morning, they expected everything to be ready to go, working and all that. And they weren't, they didn't settle for less. And you know, if you if you gave them that, they let you know it. So you you learned really fast how to um, how to you know how to get things uh, right and make it seem like you didn't do anything to get there. Um, so I think that was, that was a good thing. I mean, and, and then just watching those guys work. I mean, when you're an assistant engineer, I mean, things are going well, you kind of get everything set up and then you can, you do have this kind of element where you can kind of sit back and observe a little bit and, um, you know, watching, watching those, those guys work was, you know, I mean, yeah, it was great. Let me me (laughs) ask you a quick
0: question about that. So as an assistant, you saw that, that, um, level of professionalism where the bar was set high Mm -hmm. and it was like. You either meet the bar or you're not going to, or you're in the wrong place as an assistant. Um, Do you remember, uh, and you know, and as we think about being in a position of maybe wanting to have an assistant help us with things that we do, um, and we're like, how do I impress the importance of these elements of what we're doing working, but also not come off like some kind of tyrannical asshole (laughs) to my assistants? As an assistant yourself, what do you think were some of the motivators that made you feel like this is a standard that's that I that I want to strive to achieve, as opposed to, like, whatever. This dude's just like he just wants what he wants, and I'm not interested. Um, am I just outing myself? Is that what I'm doing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the assistant thing is, is interesting. I mean, I think that I'm not sure if I'm quite answering your question, but I think that the trick, at least that I felt like when was. You you kind of have to always be thinking and always anticipating, and I think anticipating what the person who you're working for, what they what they're gonna do next, what they're wanting, um, and if you're if you're re- there and ready with it, people notice that. Yeah. And and if you're not, it doesn't necessarily mean that like you're bad at it, but they also notice that too. Right. If thing if if if, if something comes up that's a problem or whatever, and you're already sort of like have anticipated it. That's like that's impressive, but right. it, if you haven't, it's like it's sort of noted. Like, okay, well, he went and fixed the problem, but it's like you know, he, yeah, it, it, I it had to wait for that to had happen. to wait for it a little bit. So that that's sort of, you know, that's a that's definitely a great way as an assistant to get noticed. Is like is to be trying to think a couple steps ahead all the time and and trying to foresee problems so that when you know the you know um, when the engineer you're working for asks for something. You're already sort of half on it.
0: What do you think it was that made you even want to be that good of an assistant? Um, Well, I mean, I think,
1: I think I just wanted to be that close to music getting made. I mean, I mean, the really great thing about those sessions is, I mean, I got to see like these like amazing studio musicians coming in every day and or bands coming in every day, and um, you know, getting to you know when when all the when everything was done and, and you know, recorders, someone pressed record and then you're just like, you know, letting them play. It's like, you get to hear that. I mean, that was, (laughs) you know, that's, that's the best. I mean, I definitely still still miss that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm, I've, that I'm doing what I'm doing now, but there are days where I'm like, I'm like man, it'd be fun to be back in the recording studio every every now and again, you know, just because there's, there's, a, there's an excitement to that. that there you can't, is, but I'll tell you, you like, there's away. also
0: some excitement to go into the mastering studio for a day to yeah, listen to yeah, yeah. thing come together. Yeah. So it's always a little bit grass is greener, right? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, okay, cool. So, so uh, as uh, uh, an engineer now, as a mastering engineer, what are some things that you've learned about um, training an assistant to be a really great assistant for you? Is it something where you've learned that you really just have to cross your fingers, hope they've got this, they got the right stuff. And then when they do, they stand out. Or have you found that there's some really good lessons you've learned about how to effectively help somebody be your best assistant possible? Um. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think that
1: there's a certain amount of it that like, you know, there's a certain amount of like, kind of like work ethic type stuff that either people either kind of have or don't. And by the time they get to me, that's probably, might be a little too late to do a lot about that. Right. Right. (laughs) So there's a certain element of that where um, but when you find someone who does have that, um, I just think it's important to communicate well and clearly. And I think I've definitely learned that myself and that Sometimes I think I've made myself very clear to someone, and then something doesn't get done correctly, and then I look back at it and be like, "Oh yeah, that was actually kind of on me for not really for making assumptions about what they would know or wouldn't know." and, uh, or understand about well, how I work and in the music business too. Yeah.
0: Exactly. I mean, think about like yeah. how many conversations were was like, you know, you just got to kick it hard with that and have this good vibe for that thing right there. <laughs> right. And you think you communicated exactly right. what to do. Right. People are just like, what? Yeah. I have no idea what you just said.
1: I mean, trying to, I mean, communicating is, is that it's, it's kind of like one of the hardest things of probably all businesses. I mean, it's just, you know, trying to get, get what you need from somebody else, articulated properly so they actually understand it. Yeah. And some people are better at understanding than others. And so, you know, the thing you're looking for an assistant is someone who can understand what you're saying with, you know, easily who you can, who get, you know, cause some people, you know, take too much and then they have to go away. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, there's a big difference between between making plans with somebody and saying like, yeah, well, let's, let's just kick a jam. We'll just kick a full day in the studio on such and such versus saying, cool. I'll see you at Wednesday. 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on this this given date, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They can be interpreted differently. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, let's take a short break. Uh, we'll come back in for the jam session. Rockstars, a reminder that we're going to have links to stuff we're talking about here with Ryan, um, video player, and uh, links to the website and stuff. Um, so you can go check out this amazing music that he's doing. And we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. We'll see you in just a minute for the jam session. Cheers. It was 1971 in a New York City basement, when Eventide revolutionized the audio world by introducing the world's first studio effects processor, the Instant Phaser, and the first digital effect, the H910 Harmonizer. Eventide soon followed with the Instant Flanger, Omnipressor, SP2016 Reverb, and H949 and H3000 Harmonizers, which have been favorites of A-list mixers like Michael Brower, Joe Ciccarelli, Mick Kazowski, and Dave and heard on countless hit records over the decades. Today, Eventide brings all that sound to your stage and studio with modern solutions like the H9000 Harmonizer, their complete line of guitar pedals, including the versatile H9 Max, and transformative plugins like MicroPitch, Pitch, Fizion, Black Hole, and Mangled Reverb. Take your next mix in your studio to a whole new level. Go to eventide.com or click the link in the show notes below. Are you sick of bothering family and neighbors when you're just trying to rehearse or record your music? Do outside noises or computer fans get into your studio mics and ruin your recordings? You could book a pro studio to record every time, but that would add up quickly, and doing permanent construction to soundproof your studio can easily cost up to $100,000 or more. Trust me, I know. And you can't take that with you when you eventually move the studio. Don't you wish there was an easy solution right now? Whisperoom IsoBooths offers a simple way to install a comfortable, quiet, ventilated iso booth in your studio with easy line of sight for recording vocals, guitar amps, or even drums in a variety of sizes. For 30 years, Whisperoom has been solving studio isolation needs worldwide with iso booths that are shippable, portable, and can be assembled in an afternoon. Now you can get pro vocal recordings right in your home studio, practice whenever you want, and start using real guitar amps again. Get. 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 booths when you mention recording studio Rockstars at whisperroom.com, or click the link in the show notes below. Are you using a Mac in your recording studio? Are you tired of feeling like the studio setup you worked so hard to create is becoming obsolete too quickly? Wouldn't it feel great to have a trusted friend to help you keep your existing Mac and studio setup current and relevant so that you can focus on the thing you love most, which is making great music? Well, now you can rely on OWC, Otherworld Computing, which you can find at OWC.com, whose mission it is to help you get the most mileage out of your Mac. Whether you need to upgrade your RAM, install an SSD, add more connectivity, or simply find a great used Mac that's ready to rock, OWC will help take your studio far into the future with a vast library of DIY install videos, 24-7 friendly support, and free shipping in the U.S. on most items over $49. Why get frustrated and ditch your existing computer when you can take your studio far into the future with OWC? Learn more at OWC.com and find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. Hey, rockstars! We're back now for the jam session. My guest today is Ryan Smith. Just uh, literally jumping over. I think you said that your um, the GPS said it was exactly seven minutes from your studio over to mine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) This supposed to be be over here. I'm like I'm like oh shit, we be late. And I'm like oh, seven minutes late. And I, that was generous. That's awesome. I don't, I don't think there's a single stoplight in between.
0: Maybe and, one. And I'm I'm. And it I'm was green. Proud <laughs> to say that my studio is located right next to Sterling Sound. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so welcome back, man. <laughs> You're ready you ready to jam a little bit? I'm ready to jam. All right, man. Um, tell us again. You, you sort of you answered what mastering is. We talked about it philosophically, but if you were to describe some of the tools that you use, because mm-hmm. you're obviously doing something to the music and mix we bring in. Sure. So, what are, what are some tools that you would reach for in a mastering process? You know, maybe not ones that you use every single time, but like if you were just like, here's my mastering bundle. What is what is what's the Ryan mastering right. bundle look like?
1: Well, my 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 sort of method is is sort of two stage. I've got like an analog uh, end of things, and then a digital um, component as well. So I usually start um, by running uh, all my you know source mixes through the analog um, analog stuff. So um, I mean, my my real workhorse is my Sontech EQ, which is um, we're pretty lucky to have it Sterling. It's been like it's it's like one of the greatest mastering EQs, and it's It's been Sound
0: Tech, -tech. Sontech, Sontech, Sontech.
1: Yeah, it's basically like the. Don't you
0: love that you get to give me the basics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So.
1: I mean they yeah, you know, I mean we we've had those equalizers since the seventies at Sterling and it's been like lovingly rebuilt um by our techs. We've we're blessed to have, you know, on site techs who um don't just fix stuff but like also come up with ideas to make things oh, better. Oh yeah.
0: I met him briefly. We remind us yeah, who his was? name was Barry Wolfson. Gary?
1: Uh, Barry. Barry. Yeah, Barry Wolfson. And uh yeah, he's just like one of those guys where, you know, he'll like just kind of come in and be like, I got an idea to make this better, you know, point to a piece of gear, whatever it is. And then kind of tell me what he wants to do. And I'll, yeah, try it. And, All right, that's you know, cool. Barry, so, we're
0: coming for you, man. I'll yeah. probably have you on the podcast if you want to come uh, join us and talk about yeah. That so
1: um, so yeah, so I go through my analog uh, my analog stuff first. Um, I have what we call a transfer console, console, which is basically like level in, level out, and then a bunch of inserts in between, which is, um, and that console also is a custom-built piece. Um, and then it goes back into the computer and then i um layer on the plugins as needed um you know uh, these days for to get you know the right you know kind of like loud digital level that people expect you you know you, like most of the uh limiting and compression happens in the computer Okay. Uh, so, um, but, um, so, so
0: uh, there's sometimes you use uh, outboard compression as well.
1: Yeah, but it usually that's usually gentler. It's really more, more like kind of yeah. like for a little it's like glue the tone of the compressor. Too. Yes. It's sort of like if, like if someone, like I always think about it, like, you know, when a, a mixer like mixing on a console or whatever might have like, you know, a compressor on the two bus, right? just like a you know like in like the old days like the SSL built-in compressors yeah. or the different things people used to use so i feel like a lot of times i get things these days that don't have enough of that kind of thing on it that maybe it could have used some in, in the mix stage and it's fine that they didn't do it cuz um so i can so i can do that um i've got you know two different you know uh, analog compressors that i use and you know like i said usually relatively gentle it's kind of a little bit more for feel um, then, then to actually like, you know, really clamp down on something. And then the digital tools are, these days are, are, have gotten pretty good in terms of to be able to get thing you know, to get things up to the levels that, um, that they need to be, to be competitive as we like to say.
0: Do you feel like you're using a lot of the same plugins that the rest of us are using and just using them, um, wisely or, or do you have sort of a suite of. Mastering focused plugins, in, um, you know, or is it not even a plugins question that I should be asking?
1: No, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff I use is pretty like you know, common. Like, you know, I use like different of uh, the fab filters and um, some waves things. I, I use um, a couple uh, plugins by a company called Cube Tech, um, an at NEQ at a, at a, a multi band compressor that I don't really use in multi band mode. I really just use like as a as like a just a straight. Uh, compressor has like like a soft limit feature that is nice. Those are, that was a, that one's maybe a little less common. People probably don't know about that. Um, but I mean, those are the ones I lean on the most. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of other ones that, like you know, you start pulling out the other ones when when things aren't working and you're trying to find something. Right, you know? right, right. Um, so
0: and we're used to in the plugin world sometimes layering. You know, doing a little bit of a, of a few different plugins mm-hmm. to see if we can keep tweaking or something. Is is that uh, possible and common in the analog chain on the way into the computer too, or is the analog chain typically minimalism? Um, no, I'd I'd say uh,
1: it it sort of depends. It sort of depends on 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 the state of the stuff that it's coming in. So some things like, um, you know, I might be using you know i have using like every everything like layered like kind of like you said like a little bit like in stages a little here a little here and as you kind of build it up some things it's you know, if it's sound if it's you know in mastering you, you the, the worst thing you can do is have something come out sounding worse than when it came in so if something sounds really good then you're you just trying to get out of the way of it just try to get it get it from whatever format it came in at into whatever format it's going to get released in and sounding you know as as close as as not messing it up. So
0: sometimes you're using, you know, almost nothing, but, um, is that part of a process for you in the mastering where you are able to con to uh, go back and forth between the original? Yeah. And the yeah. And so sure a, a- being is a
1: big, is a big, uh, a big part of it. So I've got like a, a, a monitor console that's, I've got like different digital inputs, all like, you know, on, on push buttons and they're assignable. So I can listen to, um, and also analog points as well. So I can listen to it pre, you know, this, completely flat i can listen to it flat but level matched to what i'm doing um i can listen you know to other reference sources whatever and just all by the push of a button um so that's i mean that's kind of like what i'm doing all day long is just switching back and forth back and forth and you're constantly being like you know asking that question am i making it better am right, i making right. it better and if it's not if the answer is no then like you know then you gotta backtrack and figure out you know you know what's make what's what's sending you off course and and, and get back to that
0: maybe a point that's worth bringing up is the um tiny attention span that our auditory memory actually has yes um and sort of educate people about that because that that's the, that's why it's important to be able to go back and forth quickly. yeah
1: i mean and that's like i mean i'm i'm crazy about it like if like i can't even deal with like i mean I, a lot of people are forced to use like you know like solo buttons or things in the like mouse click buttons in the computer and to me there's just Uh, there's too much lag for that it's like by the time it like you know kind of clicks back in i'm like up my brain's already kind of like been tricked into like for you know you you forgot what you just heard so you know i have with my ab setup i mean i can it's pretty seamless i mean it's like maybe a tiny click from um you know from the a to the b or whatever but that's it and having that sort of instantaneous back and forth is really crucial to kind of to be able to like effectively um hear what you're actually doing and hear and hear that sort for of comparative like purposes. for comparative pr- purposes yeah. yeah um yeah that's that's you know that's a that's a big deal that i mean i use a lot like you're t- asking about plugins um a lot of plugins these days and they've gotten really good with it have this have the a b features where you can like say you set up like an eq like the fab filters have this you set up your EQ and then it has like an A and B button and it has got a copy A to B or B to A button. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you copy the same thing and then maybe you change something and then you can just click it back and forth, A you know, so you can hear these little subtle differences fairly instantaneously. And, um, you know, that kind of stuff is really, is really critical because it's, it's pretty easy when you're just sort of like when you're, especially when you're, when you can see stuff, it's kind of easy to kind of trick yourself into thinking that you're hearing something you're not. Yeah. Even you know, it doesn't matter how much experience you have. If you're, if you see an EQ curve, you're, it's going to be easier to hear that EQ yeah, curve. Yeah, it's
0: true. I mean, I've so, I, I noticed it even if you're, even if there's nothing you think you're looking at on the screen. Just having the visual input distracts my brain. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I mean, I, the the way I've got my my
1: thing set up is I, my screen lay, lays really flat. And, um, so it's, it's a little bit of a weird angle and sometimes I can get glare off it, but I kind of live with it because I can basically look at it, do what I want to do, set something up, and then I can look over it and not see it at all. And then like, I'll just like hover my mouse over that AB button and then right. just, I'll even just randomize all, you know, hit it really fast. So I don't know which one I'm on. Yeah. And then just go back and forth and be yeah. like, oh yeah, I like this one better. Oh, oh, was the original actually the, the the new thing I did actually I don't like as well.
0: There's a, maybe you know about this, but I think it was Nugent that made a very cool plugin that was called like the Random AB button. Oh yeah, it's, and you yeah. would set it you would set it up so you could do comparative listening and, and not know it which one you, you just yeah. you just say which one you like better, and yeah. you could have like ten people take turns at the console or something listening and picking one. And you actually didn't know which one you were listening to, yep. and then at the end it shows you which one won, which yeah. is kind of a fun little thing. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, I think blind 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 comparative uh, blind comparison is is really really valuable. Yeah. You know, there's different ways you can you can kind of set it up for yourself. Um, sometimes I'll just take two files that are done, and as long as they're like, um, as long as they're cut exactly the same in terms of the start time, I'll just kind of like. I'll just kind of like blur my eyes and just kind of move them from track to track and around and back and forth until I can't tell until I don't know which one's which. And then, and then, you know, ABM back and forth and then, and pick them that way. Cause sometimes you get to a point with something you're like, you're, when you're like 99% sure it's done, but you're like contemplating adding this one extra little thing, but then you're not really sure if it's like, cause sometimes you can, you know, especially in mastering, you can be, you can be making something better and you're focused on that one thing that you're making better, but then you kind of don't realize you're out, you're making something else a little worse. Yeah. So I do it in
0: mixing all the time. (laughs) Yeah, sure.
1: Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, being able to like to, to compare and sort of like not, not know what one you're listening to and it forces you to be honest and, 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 you know, use your ears as opposed to your, you know, the logical part of your brain. So. I
0: think and um you know if we're trying to do comparative listening like that in Pro Tools, uh, probably an, uh, a good way to do it uh, because Pro Tools now you can do shift you could be on one track and do shift s and if there's just two tracks to compare, mm-hmm. it'll toggle the solo from one to the other. Oh yeah so perfect. if you looked away yeah. at the screen, um, here's it here I'm just com- I'm coming up this right now, right yeah there you go. but you can trip uh, if you have a trackpad like I do, you can triple finger swipe. And that will actually switch your desktop out. Um, I don't remember if you can still push the buttons once you're looking at a different desktop, Mm -hmm. but that would allow you to not look at the screen. There was another great trick where it was like the bear claw and eject or something like that, that will turn off the screen for a moment. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you could get the screen off for a second, you could just do a button where you're going back and forth until you're like, okay, I definitely like this one better. And turn it on and yeah. see which of the two tracks yeah. you soloed. Maybe that would be a way to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if you can figure out a way that works for you so that you can, you know, so you can, like I said, make an honest with your ears comparison as opposed to, you know, it's it's psychoacoustics and like, and like kind of like your own bias on like, you know, if you come up with an idea of what you think will sound good on something, you're biased to think it's going to sound better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, Confirmation oh, this bias, needs, right? this needs some 3K. Now yeah, it's like now you like grab three K and you're like, Yeah, man, sounds great. Yeah. But then sometimes you like step away from it and then blind check it and you're like, Oh, I like this one better. Oh, it's actually the one without the three K shit. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, happens to me plenty of times. So it's I mean it's it's humbling, but it's it's a it's a great way to um to make sure that you're you're really doing what you think you're doing and not just uh, talking yourself into something.
0: Okay, cool. So let me jump to a record that you did. Mm-hmm. Um, Greta Van Fleet and Quicksand, a couple mm-hmm. of bands that are in our YouTube playlist, yep. uh, they both have really punchy drums. How can you retain the punchiness when mastering? Um, tell us the, you know, how it relates to things like limiting and saturation. Yeah, sure. Um, it's tricky. Or, or how you can maybe even screw up the punchiness. Yeah,
1: mastering. for sure. I mean, so just with the levels that, that um, modern digital music exists at these days, it's hard because, you know, you're generally adding a, a good amount of limiting compression to something. And, and what that does is takes away the peaks and which then takes away the punchiness of, of the, of the, of the drums, especially. Um, I sort of come up with like my, like a, a chain of, you talked about like layering EQs before. I mean, I, I kind of have a, a a bit of a chain of, plugins that in a certain order that seem to work well for me. And so um, is that something you can reveal or will you have well, to kill it's, it's, me it's, right it's, after this podcast? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's those, um, those same ones that I, that I mentioned before it's that, that Cube tech plugin and the, and the, the fab limiter for the most part, a couple of other things sometimes, but that's usually where I start with. And then it's a matter of like, Balancing those limiters, like you know, pushing one to the point to a certain point, and then you know carrying on with the next now, one. You just said
0: limiters plural, so that's already education for us. There's room for more than one limiter in this town. There is in this one horse town. Is, yeah,
1: <laughs> there is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think I think all mastering engineers kind of you 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 know are are doing maybe sort of a similar thing where they're you're, you know layering different you know a few different ones. You know, it's sort of You know, if let me take a, take a second here. (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, it's, it's just a matter of getting, you know, if you just, I find if you just run one limiter, you're going to get to a point where it's going to stop sounding good. And if you need to go louder for some reason, then you're just, you're out of luck. So I, I mean, kind of as a necessity, I mean, 15 years ago, I feel like we could sometimes get away with records being a little less loud than they are now. And so maybe that one limiter was enough. Um, Also the technology wasn't as good. So you didn't have like, you know, you didn't have a choice of like, everybody had the L2 and the
0: rack or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, for sure. And um, so, so back back to your question of drums. And I think that with drums too, especially with like with the low end of drums is, you know, you got to, You're gonna need to like kind of sculpt the low end so that you know, you know, you're gonna get rid of the stuff that doesn't need to be there because that's just taking up space. It's taking up headroom basically. And but and try to keep the stuff that's actually, you know, moving the song along. So like you gotta sometimes you gotta like figure out where that kick drum frequency is and you know, you know, find something around there to push through while maybe getting rid of some other stuff so that there's room for it. Cause if you just, you know, take like a, kind of a broadband, you know, jack the low end up it just it's just going to mush out. And, right. Yeah. Right. And same thing with the snare. And snare can be hard because it's, you know, it, it definitely will want to suck in. And um, so sometimes you need to do a little extra EQ to kind of try to pop that back through. Um, that's a little trickier because the snare drum rests in a frequency where a lot of other stuff exists right. as well. So, you know, you you know, you pull the, try to pull the snare out. You might also be pulling the vocal up or guitars or keyboards or, so I you probably learn up, so. early
0: on to train your ear to listen for all the things you're not working on. Yeah. While yeah, you're yeah, adjusting an EQ. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I remember hearing some interesting, you know, feedback from a buddy of mine. Um, I think Chris James shout out to you, Chris. But he he once pointed out to me that he was like, dude, one of the the mastering seekers they were doing, and this is going back a while. So it's probably like, Oh yeah, we don't do that anymore. But <laughs> it was like clipping the converters on the way into the computer. Oh yeah. That was, was a, a big w- yeah. That was a we, big thing. we don't do that so much anymore. Okay, but that cool. was
1: definitely I mean, I think there's still people who do, but I don't anymore. But um, for sure, that was that was a a, a big thing. That you know, it's a way guys to did. just shave yeah. off the transient, but yeah. not
0: uh, not actually adjust other things. But it also probably introduced harmonic distortion. Yeah,
1: and, and sometimes you get like little like you know staticky clicky kind of kind of distortion. You know that that's sort of basically like digital overload, basically. But yeah. some converters were um, a little more forgiving of that. You could hit them pretty hard before that would sort of be induced in, introduced into the into the signal. Um, so we can forget about that technique now. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, advise it at this point, <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. but you know, the, I mean, if you can find a way to make it work, if it sounds good, it sounds good. So what like, are
0: some limiter plugins that you really enjoy? I think you mentioned the fab filter. What are some others that are worth us taking a look at? Um, well, uh, boy. Are they all worth taking a look at and just training our ears to yeah. do abs? And yeah, see I mean, I think go. you know, I don't use the
1: ozone one as as much. Some of the other guys I know do. Um, there's a plugin called Limitless, which I've messed around with a little bit. Um, I'm kind of a little. I'm kind of curious about that one, but it's got a lot of a lot of parameter stuff, and I haven't really dug in to figure out how I, to make it work for me. Right. That's a. That's. I mean, I think that's the biggest trick with 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 um. With limiters is trying to find or, or just plugins in general is just trying to find because so many of them these days do so many things right. and is to try to find a way that it's going to work for you. So I think that's what, what I've sort of done is like I've got like maybe three or four EQ plugins that I will use, but I but I kind of like use them for certain things. Yeah. Like, you know, like, um, like I use the, the fab EQ I use in the MS mode. So you can, you know, do the, the middle, the signal, the the,
0: the sides. Um, and got, what, uh, you know, what, let's, let's just stay on that for a second. Yeah, sure. What, what's useful about that? What, what are things that happen in the middle that you're glad you have the EQ for versus things on the sides? Well, I mean, this, I mean, for vocals, having,
1: you know, an EQ that affects only the middle is great. Um, so you can kind of focus
0: on making sure the vocals sound great. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, so, and then, I mean, it's it's as simple as it sounds, really. It's like if you can, you know, if if you can have an EQ that affects things that are only in this in this, you know, typical rock song. Let's say that like you're talking about quicksand, like their guitars are pretty much panned wide, right, and they're big and whatever. But so you can kind of like dig a little bit of the vocal out without making the guitar sound too edgy, or if the guitars are muddy, you can maybe pull a little low mids out of the sides. Without like getting rid of that maybe that low mid Power. that you need for the yeah. bass for the bass guitar or whatever yeah so, so there's so, lots so, of lots of things like that where you can you know where you can you know bring some more definition um, to a mix or to a master um, that that is not as easy to do with just a straight stereo EQ because remember right. in mastering you're working with just two channels you're right, not right you can't just turn the kick drum up you can't just turn the vocal up I mean you know. So um yeah, see so a lot of times you're looking for little things. And you know, we're not I'm not like trying to like, you know, blast things out usually by that point, but you're just yeah. looking for that little ex- like, man, this sounds great, but the vocals just tucking in just a little bit. And if I can just
0: give it a little bit of this find this like little spot in the mid range, it'll just kind of pop it just a little bit. That's great. That's yeah. what I was gonna ask. It's yeah. like that's a great tool to use. It's not the one where you're looking for this. I need to add a smiley face to this whole mix, you know, or something right. like that. Right. But it's more like you've already got everything. Maybe sounding pretty great, but it still just needs that control right. either on the sides right. or in the middle. And then you add it and use it there. Yeah.
1: And then for like things like, you know, like, like you said, like a smiley face kind of thing, like there's other EQs you could, you know, that might have that might be better for that, for just like, you know, kind of giving it real kind of general broad strokes kind of All like, right, let's, you know,
0: shoot. What are, what are some other ones that are kind of fun to look at?
1: Um, Well, on the, on the analog side, that Santec EQ, like, it just has like the best top end ever. But, yeah. You know,
0: but, um, so in, it, gives you, the, b- it in, gives you the air yeah. and, the, and the, um, the, the, uh, just the openness that doesn't have the digital edge that the plugins sometimes yeah. do. Well, and just a, a lot of even
1: other analog EQs do. It just, it, it's like it, it feels brighter, but it doesn't sound brighter. Right, <laughs> it's kind right, of what right. I'll say. It. It's like, it's just like, it's like, oh, it sounds like, like, you know, more open and more airy, but it doesn't have a, like, a lot of like, it just sounds uh, like you're, you're all of a sudden like you're a, on better like a, gear. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like oh my my yeah. my uh stereo's it's just a better stereo now yeah
1: um yes i mean that that's kind of like that's my that's my favorite for that for in in the in the box i mean i um the cube tech eq i use is probably i use more and that's of cube a tech cube or tech or C- yeah okay cool cube, they they used to make a system i maybe they still do called the audio cube that was like a whole like turnkey mastering system but now they just the plugins are available you know a la carte now um, I use, you know, I use some of the, the UAD stuff a little bit, you know, some of the, those are, those can be fun when you're kind of looking for a little extra flavor, you know, yeah. just damn. How
0: often do you reach for a, a analog tape simulator
1: the Um, the mastering process?
0: You know, I've messed around with it a little bit, the
1: ATR plugin on, on the UAD stuff, but, um, being that I have a tape machine, it's like I, I, I just would tend to, to I mean, I I always feel like that's one of those things, bouncing the tape and mastering, that always sounds like an awesome idea, and right. so often doesn't really work. Right, right. <laughs> and you and you have to have that, that that strength to be like, this was a good try, but it, we're gonna have to put this away now. Yeah, Occasionally,
0: had that request, you know, like, hey, yeah, can we just bounce it off the tape and?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about what tape will will do to it, and um, a lot of times it just the it, you lose a little clarity, and that is. Something that ends up not being desirable, even right. though it might add some kind of
0: cool like vibe to it, but you know it has to be the right thing for but it, it. But that can be great at the recording stage because then you're still going to have a chance to balance the mix exactly. with these new tones. Exactly. exactly. Later, you know. So, just hopefully, what I'll be doing very soon. Yeah. I just got my uh, analog. Yeah. JH16. It's humming there in the background. It looks great. Our our um, Iza- amazing isotope denoiser plugins probably won't let you hear it on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, but it's just it's just purring away and, yeah. uh, and waiting for some rock and roll soon. Um, all right, cool. So punchy drums got a lot to do with um, you know these these careful uses of different limiting and finding the right balance of that. Um, what about low end? What are some places that you know, where do we bring you our struggles from the studio to the mastering room, and how do you address this? Well, you know, you get a lot of things where you can kind of
1: hear where the the limitations in the listening environment is. Um, and a lot of times it's just um, there'll be a lot of excess low end because there's some stuff that's like maybe real sub that people just aren't hearing in their room or there's a big bump in the room. So you get a hole in the low end where they tried to like, you know, EQ something out because they thought it was too much, but it's actually was like a, an effect of the room. Right. So a lot of times you're just sort of trying to, um, you know, reverse whatever that is. Um, when things are pretty close, I think that, um, it is, it's important to remember that it, it can be tricky You know, for me in mastering, like I've got a a system that goes down really deep, really flat, but also to remember that most people can't hear that. So it doesn't make sense for me to like, you know, just put a lot of energy into something at like 30 hertz when, I mean, unless it's like, you know, like maybe a hip hop track that has like an 808 or something like that, then that's different. But like, you know, but a lot of, but something, you know, you kind of kind of know what's going to sound good on your average, you know, consumer playback
0: um, let's talk about our cars for a second. Mm-hmm. So I just got a 2019 Kia Forte and I'm real proud of it. That's why I just name dropped it. Rockstar. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm listening to a couple of records. It's got the Apple play thing in it now. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's really fun for me to, to just click a button and start hearing some, you know, contemporary music in there. Yep. Um, but I'm, I'm always, it's always a, a, um, you know, a challenge and a pursuit, like, you can tell when the low end feels great in the car, but learning and training myself to know where is that, you know, and I'll do things like I'll even break out a little, um, sine wave sweep and I'll just kind of move around down there and be like, Oh, that's what I'm hearing is down, down here. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. 40 to 80 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, um, have you learned anything about what you feel just from working with enough people and enough records when people talk about it's got to be thumping and kicking in the car where, mm-hmm. where they're really talking about?
1: Uh, well, I think it depends on where, where the like the key of the song is and the way the drums and the, the drums are tuned, that is going to change it all the, you know, because I, I feel like it's, it gets a little specific in terms of like when I'm mastering and trying to like, you know, find
0: like, you know, kind of the sweet spot in the low end. Um, Let's let's just take for a moment. Let's just say rock, and we're talking about like a real kick drum and a real you know electric bass. It's probably around six, somewhere between fifty and seventy. And the key is
1: either E or up to A. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's you know it's usually somewhere between fifty and seventy is like where I'm like right. I'm like kind of sweeping around and trying to find something that's going to give it that little that's going to make it punch more. Yeah. Um, I find a, a, a trick sometimes I do that seems to sort of work is that I'll find like where the kick drum, like if if I sweep a, free, a frequency through that range and find where the, where it really makes the kick drum the loudest, whether it sounds good or not, just the loudest. If I go just a slightly below that somewhere is that that tends to sound really good. Cause it's like, well, it's right? like, it's giving it more beef, but it's not making it, um, not making it too hard because sometimes if you, if you get too much right on the nose it, it, and you start getting, bringing the level up that it starts to sound kind of hard and like a little bit, um, a little flattened out. Right. Like a little over limited really, I guess. So sometimes I think going like just, so like if you find like, Oh wow, like the, the kick drum really knocks at like 68, but then you add maybe at like just a little below that, like at 60
0: or 55 or something. Oh, interesting. Like when you say a little below that, you mean a different frequency. Yeah. Different frequency. Ah, yeah. Very cool. All right, yeah. That's a good tip. Um, and then I don't know if it would work in mixing, but it works in mastering. Here's, here's <laughs> what I've been thinking about and you can, you can, uh, comment on this, but I've been thinking that the frequencies below that, when you discover where those are, um, they're not, uh, you know, some frequencies below that going down into the subs are actually just totally screwing up your mix rock stars. And you just didn't even know it because it's, I think, right. It's mm-hmm. stealing the energy from your entire mix setup, and you're not really hearing it. You're making the speakers move. Which is fighting against all these frequencies that are important, but it's not. But everything below that is not unimportant or needs to be gone completely. No. Sometimes the very low subs going down to, you know, forty and thirty, are um, are actually what do make a final mix and master sound really amazing. But it's like, but I begin to think about it like this: there's this moment of energy where the kick and the bass hit that you really notice. And then the lower subs are almost like the breath that happens after the little bit of sustain. It like mm-hmm. not, nowhere near as loud, but if it's missing in that little yeah, you hear it needs them, to you be feel there. Them or hear them in the silence. It needs to be there. It it, it,
1: it provides sort of the foundation for those the things to sit on. If it and if if those are too, if they're too rolled out, then it it feels yeah, it doesn't feel stable.
0: Right, you right. Know, it doesn't so. have real power. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So uh, let's see. What's my next question for you here? Um, we talked about outboard gear and plugins. Great. Um, how do you keep your ears accurate? Accurate. How do you, how do you make sure that your ability oh, to judge what, you what you're hearing is something that you can trust and rely on um, um, all day long? Reference material
1: is a, is a real big one. I mean, I've got like, I have just like a little playlist of things that, you know, that I've enjoyed over the years and, um, I'd use that when we, like when we moved rooms, that was a, that was huge to have that. Um, when we moved in, into the national studios is I would come in every morning. And just like, listen to the same four songs every morning, just like not doing anything else. Just like turn it on, turn the, turn the, um, and listen to them straight down. Just like, so cause those are things that I had done in my other studio that I knew had come out well and I knew they sounded good. So it was like a way of training myself. What, good sounds like in my new studio. Right, right. So another thing is is um uh, you probably have to bounce, I'm guessing you probably, in mixing you probably have to bounce around a little bit more, but in mastering for me, 95% of my listening is all at the same exact level. I've got, right. I mean, my, my volume knob is, is, you know, is stepped and I've got the notch that I listen at and um I try to never, you know, don't, not deviate from that because that sort of affects how um, how you feel things coming out of the speakers and how that, you know, and that's, a, that's part of, part of listening too is, is, is the feel of something. Um, and so, that's almost
0: like your reference for what's loud or loud enough exactly. is less about, um, you know, meters on a screen mm-hmm. and more about like this. this yeah. Is I try, this, and, you know,
1: people ask me questions like, oh, oh, what level do you master to? You know, what lufs number, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I master till it sounds like right for that record. Yeah. And sometimes that might be, you know, this number and sometimes it might be that number. And I'm sure
0: clients will tell you like, hey, can we make it louder or can we make it less loud? I probably was like, yeah, we don't need to try and be the loudest thing on the block. Right, right. I
1: mean, yeah. I mean, the joke at mastering is that they are most frequent revision requests is, it sounds great. Can you make it louder? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like everyone, you know, it's, it's, we laugh about it at this point. Um, occasionally, people come back and say, "Make it less loud," which is always a, a kind of a pleasant surprise because it, you know, you rarely, it rarely suffers for that. Going louder, oftentimes it does suffer. Yeah. So
0: that's interesting. And I guess it, there, it, you know, it wouldn't make sense to ask the question, "Which one do you prefer?" Because it's like I prefer the one that makes the client happy about the yeah. final thing. You know, they also Well, I mean, great. I want I want to make it sound the best.
1: That it can and you know sometimes clients you know they force you to take things that that's not where you would have wanted them to go but you know it's not you know it's not my record
0: it's their yeah. record so yeah i forgot whose quote it was it said like you know when people leave the music store they, they don't leave humming the sound of the console on their favorite hit song you know <laughs> exactly And it's probably the same thing for loudness you know it's like people don't they're gonna like the singer and the song, or they're not, you know. Yeah, no, no. I mean,
1: that's that's the key element. We're just we're we're trying to you know put it in the best package for people to to hear it and all that. But um, yeah, if good song trumps all. <laughs>
0: Wanna record killer drums in your home studio? Then check out Rockstars of Drums to learn how to record, edit, and mix pro sounding drums with a professional Nashville session drummer in a Grammy winning studio. Or if you're ready to start mastering your own records at home, then check out Rockstars of Mastering, where I walk you through exactly how I mastered my own records, Skadouche, using nothing but plugins in Presona Studio One. And if mixing is your focus, then check out my free course Mix Master Bundle, where I show you how to mix using stock and free plugins and pro tools and the best part is these techniques would work for you in whichever DAW you're using right now plus you get a look at how I recorded everything in my studio and multi-track downloads for you to practice mixing and even include in your mixing portfolio if you want are you ready to make your best record ever then go to mix master bundle to get started for free now or look for the clickable link in the show notes of this episode all right so we're jumping into our home studios now okay we are. Um, we might have stock plugins. We might have uh, third-party plugins. How can we do some mastering at home with no budget on our computers? Um, obviously, the best way to have a, a, a great signing record is to work with somebody like yourself who uh, really knows how to do this and has the, the very best tools for it. Mm-hmm. But for this, for the early stages, for those times where there, there's just simply not a budget to work with somebody, and yet we still want to take that mix that we did and, you know, put something out, um, what are some basic advice for for how to set up? You know, you talked about some great plug-in chains and things like mm-hmm. that. If you were just to say, like, hey, start with this and experiment with this, how would you say how to set up a plug-in chain on a mix to begin to master it yourself?
1: Um, yeah, I would say... You know, you're you're gonna take whatever like the best like compression and limiting options you have are, and probably put them last. Um, then you're gonna set up whatever EQs that you you have access to, you know, probably before that. Um, and then I would say make sure that you're giving those plugins enough headroom. Um, one thing that that can uh, that can be I've found can be problematic is that if you start just say you have like four or five plugins in a row and they're all just getting clipped just a little bit. Cause you, you know, when you start adding digital stuff to things, even though like you're, even though your, your mix coming in, doesn't have any clipping in it. It doesn't take, if it's close to clipping, if you if you mix it up like near digital zero and you start adding a little bit here and a little bit there, even though it's not that much, it just, the way, you know, digital audio works with, um, you can start getting a little, little bits of overs and, um, those can, you know, can multiply if you've got three or four plugins in a row and, yeah. it, ter- and it turns into. So make sure you give enough, you know, sometimes it means you got to turn that that mix down a bit before you hit before you get those plugins so that you know, you're only limiting it limiting it where you think you are as opposed to, you know, hitting a bunch of, you know, digital ceilings before you get there.
0: Now, do you remember um this might be too much to put you on the spot for? But do you remember when David Rogers, you know, when we came in and brought you mixes and uh there were two, there were a pair. There was either the no no loudness right yep. mix and there was loudness mix. Do mm-hmm. you remember if you uh which one you would have used? I'm pretty
1: sure I used the the lower level one.
0: Okay, dig it. Great. Yeah. So that was a good choice then. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean we get that we get sent that a lot. We get a lot of times people send us, you know, um I mean, usually the the louder one is more for is like a reference. This is like this is what the mixer. This is what I've given to the artist or the producer to listen to to approve from, because most people these days have trouble approving something if it's not at least close to right. finished level. Yeah, well, So I mean,
0: self approval too. I mean, I, I yeah. take everything I do out to the car. Yeah, if, and and if you want or, and compete, you want to be able to
1: compare it against. Yeah, you want to be able to compare it against uh stuff that's already out there and that's and all that's mastered. You don't and, have no and, one has access to the mixes for many of their favorite records. Yeah, and I'll, I'll qualify
0: this by saying this too: car stereos aren't. Studio stereos, mm-hmm. so just simply turning the volume knob. I'm just say, just turn it up. I know people say that, but it's not the same on consumer gear. Right. There's sure. a lot of time. I do feel like um, consumer gear. I feel like I've witnessed the design of consumer gear right. to follow the design of production mm-hmm. that happens. So, like you know, you go you go pick up a car now, and that stereo may be. This is my theory. Back me up or shoot me down in a comment below. Otherwise, good by me. But my theory is that, you know, that, that stereo is designed to take, you know, current music and sound best as yeah, a match. Yeah, you it's, know? it's
1: geared for modern, the sound of modern music. Right. And so yeah. if
0: you're, you know, if you're trying to take a, a mix that is 18 dB below that and just turn up your car stereo, speakers, yeah, in that case, you're, you're adding, gonna be like, that ah, it sounds harsh. It's well, not, especially like you know, in a car
1: situation things. these days, you're probably adding 18 dB of digital gain. Right. You know, it's probably not even, I mean, maybe oh, a right. high-end stereo. The itself it might be. in the cars. Yeah. So, yeah, the, you do run the risk of, um, you know, putting, of adding something to the signal that's not really there and then, you know, thinking it's better or worse because of that.
0: Well, and I would also qualify this by saying, you know, when... You know, if I bring you a mix and there's a, there's a, there's a, I called it cold and hot, you know, but mm-hmm. if there's a, there, if there's a, you know, a mix level version and then there's a, the hotter mm-hmm. or the heater track, like a yep. lot of Nashville will call it. Yep. Um, and I've been listening to the heater track, you know, your perspective may be like, oh, this is the reference. This is what they've been listening to and loving. Well, I'll qualify that by saying it's also the, the level that we could get it up to beyond which it just sounded shitty to me. <laughs> so, right, right, right. So yeah. like, you know, there's that limitation yeah. of like, I'm not sure how to get it to mm-hmm. be more yeah. big and loud and closer to a master than this. And that's as far as I'm going to take it. Cause you know, ABs show me that this was as far as I could go with it kind of thing. Sure. So, um, yeah, anyway, just an insight to that. Um, Let's talk about oh and then ears accurate um, listening level while you're working all day. Mm-hmm. Any tips on making sure that your ears don't get exhausted and that you you always have a, an accurate perspective well, on I, things?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's that's why I think it's important to to know, you know, to have a monitoring level that you stick with, and you know, I know mixers sometimes tend to like want to do like certain things low level and certain things are, so so maybe right, have right. a couple, but have them be the same, you know, um, you know, have like this is my low level and have a you know notch on your volume control, and this is where I, where I listen full. Um, it's it's worth it if you can figure out a way to see how loud you're listening to make sure you're not listening too loud or louder than you think you are, which actually it was a trap I fell into when we start when we um, started in these new studios um, just the way the room design was it it felt to me at first like I needed to turn it up louder than I needed to and then I brought an SPL meter in and my jaw hit the floor that I was listening as loud as I was and I turned it I mean our I turned down like four full clicks which is like four DB lower on the on the mon- which is it's a significant amount and and then I was like freaking out because I'm like oh that doesn't sound loud enough. And that's why that's where I did that trick that I told you before, where I, I just I made a playlist of four songs that I knew were good and were like you know modern loudness whatever, and I just came in every morning and listened to those four songs and just kept did it over and over and over again until those those four songs at that level felt right.
0: Ooh, I like that idea. I yeah. need. I feel like I'm still constantly needing to train myself on my studio monitors because most of what I listen to is. What I'm doing, you know. Right. And when I listen for pleasure, it's usually in the car, you know. Right. So I need to like have that that dedicated time. Like I'm going to allow myself to listen to four songs consistently in the studio at a certain volume. Yeah. Then, so you yeah, know, you too.
1: can pick things you've done, or you can pick things that somebody else has done who you would, you know, the things that you admire, and think that things that you think that sound great. But you know, I would just come in every morning. I'd make a make a cup of coffee. I'd sit down and just press play and just for, you know, it's hard. I mean, yeah. you know, we're used to having, you know, we have
0: to qualify it as legitimate work time. It is. It you is. It's like warm ups. It's I'm like, it's like stretching
1: time. before you yeah. go out and run or something like yeah, that. Which I never you know? like to do much either. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, let's see, uh, what plugins? Oh, we already talked about that. The plugins that would make sense for DIY mastering. You, you basically said limiter at the end, maybe a compressor before that. And then That leaves us EQs prior to that. Yeah, Um, usually. I mean, when is when is widening a useful tool, or or is that? Oh yeah, I stay away away from it. No, I mean saturation too.
1: Yeah, no, widening is interesting. I mean, you know, I talked a little bit about MS stuff before, so I mean, you can use MS EQs to do that. Like if you add some stuff on the sides, you can get a, a a wider field. There are different plugins that. We'll do that with a, basically just like an MS level control. I actually have an uh, an analog part of my signal as well that is like one of my EQs is actually broken up into an MS. Uh, we call it some indifference at, at Sterling. But um, so on my console, I actually have a a, uh, a knob that's the, basically the level of the difference signal. So I can turn that up and it's basically turning up all the out of phase information. So it gives you kind of a, an, an,
0: uh, Here's the, a question for you too. This may or may not be fair, but I remember when I learned about MS miking techniques. Sure, it's one of the first things you learn in school. Is, is you learn that like the the cardioid mic in the mid middle is your mid signal, mm-hmm. and then the figure eight is um, panned to the right and panned to the left. But it, you flip well, one phase on one side, on flipped, one side yeah. mm-hmm. and the effect of summing them together is if something goes to the right, you hear it on the right. If it goes to the left, you hear it on the left. But we never really, and you learn how to um, route that through a console to make that happen or or route it in Pro Tools. Of course, now we have plugins where you just put it on there and it turns the MS mic into stereo. And there's plugins that you take a stereo signal and you put it on there and it turns it into an MS signal. Is there a reverse routing that will take a stereo signal and turn it into an MS signal again? Is there a way you can do that on a console or is that, because I'm not sure how you do that. I never really figured that out. Um, do you remember? Like, I'm in, putting you in, on the in, spot, in, right? Like, in, <laughs>
1: an, in an analog fashion,
0: you mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in an analog description. I mean, the the, the text
1: at Sterling built a circuit basically to do it. So, so yeah, yeah, there's a way. There's a way. I'm not sure what they're doing you know, under the hood, but yeah, it's basically splitting
0: it into an MS and then summing it back to you know to. But um. All right, well, Rockstars, so, I'm going to encourage you. If any of you um can answer that question, will you drop a comment in? Yeah. And describe it to. I'm sure they're,
1: I'm, I mean, they're not, it's not like a secret circuit. I'm sure that no, they're, out, they're out there. And, I just and, keep and, yeah. mentioning
0: it and I can't, and I never really figured a, out how to do super,
1: it. It's a super, MS is a super powerful tool Tool when you're dealing with stereo. Yeah. Um, just to be able to, you know, it gives you like a little more specific control as opposed to general control.
0: Yeah. All so. right. So just to clarify the question, Rockstars, if we know how to take an, uh, a mid side signal and Route it so that it comes out in stereo left right. How can we take a stereo left right and route it so it comes out in mid side without just dropping an MS plugin on it? Right. All right. Dig it. Sorry for the distraction. <laughs> the, the side. The side note there. Um, what are some good ways to screw up a master? Um. Basically. Um,
1: and not I mean, no, again. You yeah. you
0: probably had some experience, very limited, I'm sure. But for those of us who are trying to figure out how to get into this, how how are we likely to mess it up when we try and met, do it? Um, trying to make it too loud.
1: Um, that's I mean that's not e- it's not easy to make things like super 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 loud and have them still sound good. And um, you know the less tools you have at your disposal to do that, the more likely it is that you, it's um. You know you can have some ill effects there and also if you don't have a, a super great monitoring environment where you, some things that you, you can miss things, you might not hear s- certain, um, certain distortions or, or, you know, other kind of nastiness that comes from that. Um, so I mean, I would, I think that this is a
0: hard question. Well, well I'm going to throw in an, uh, an idea too, because, um, I'm certainly like, like many of our listeners, not in a perfect monitoring environment. So you've got, you know, your studio speakers might give you one perspective. Your jam box gives you a different one. Your car stereo gives you a different one. And you're like, yeah, but I want it to sound good in all of them, you know? So, well, yeah. And
1: I mean, I think that if I was in that kind of a situation, I think that that would be the thing would be you probably would need to take it around to a few different things. I mean, you, you can't take it around to every single thing and try to like, you can't make it happy for every single situation. But if you can find like, maybe two or three that you know and trust, I mean, really learning your monitors is like the, I mean, outside of like your, your plug-in chain and all that, learning your monitors is the best way to get get good masters and be able to trust what you're hearing um, hearing out of, out of your monitoring situation. I mean, I think in a lot of ways when it comes to professional mastering studios, that's kind of what you're paying for is you're paying for you know, a room that's treated that's super accurate with an engineer who's experienced, and it's not so much about like what gear he's using; it's more about um, which way it, he's turning up. the gear,
0: the knobs. You yeah, know, it, sure. it's more it's more about the fact that he can hear it accurately. Yeah, exactly. And there are uh, even if we all use the same gear, there are an infinite number of possibilities. Yeah, for what you could actually do to adjust right. it all. And so I think that, I think really
1: learning the your monitoring. You know, by just like listening to lots of records and then, you know, then take it, you know, and then work on it and then listen to it somewhere else. I mean, I I still take stuff out occasionally. Not like, I don't, I don't do it while I'm working. Like I won't like take a break and go out to the car or whatever, but I might take something home with me and listen to it on the weekend just to kind of like check myself just to be like, you know, is what I'm doing translating to, you know, uh, to a home setup or a car setup or. That's what we did working with you, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You just, you sent us two versions of what we were doing in that moment, you know, somewhere near the lunch break or something like that. And we just took it out to the car, gave it a quick listen, you know, you just stream it right from your phone, no problem. And it's very informative. And like, it just gave us that instant sense of like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, this sounds great in that place we're used to. Yeah. Hearing things. Um, But here's, here's one hack I was uh, heading towards too, that might be a useful way to educate our ears in a car environment is um, you can... Take that file, send it to your phone, uh, and then pull it into GarageBand, for example, if you're on iPhone, and then listen to it off there, and then mm-hmm. just throw, have the EQ plugin on it, and explore some of those frequencies. You can, you know, go down into the low range and just start boosting and you're like, Oh, that's where the thump is. Oh, that's where the super low mm-hmm. thing is. And yeah, if you, it's just a cool if, way to like educate yeah, yourself, if you, you
1: trust know. the frequencies on garage. Well, there you go. <laughs> but I mean, hopefully they're ballpark. Yeah. Sure. I mean? Sure.
0: Sure. You're like, Oh, my kick drum isn't 12 uh, you K. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Um, so that we're talking about some ways to screw up a master is just making things too loud. I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, uh,
1: You know, things, I think trying to create, trying to overdo excitement. Like, you know, a lot of times when you master, you're trying to make things sound more exciting. But I I think a lot of times when I get things in that where someone is sending me, like, their loud master, that's, like, where they've either overdone it with loudness or with, like, maybe making it too bright or, like, upper-mid-rangey because they're trying to get excitement out of it. They're trying to make it, like, you know, really cut, and it's gone too far. Yeah. We're
0: always just trying to make it more better.
1: Yeah, 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 and and so, um, so finding that you know that you you definitely want to walk up to the line, but it's but it's, it's a trick to to make sure to to not cross it into a point where you're like where it gets tiresome to listen to.
0: Well, so what's a good way to deliver a mix to you for mastering? You know, um, again the how loud question. What um what do you find is a useful or a common thing for people? obviously if you're working with experienced mix engineers, they already know what they're mm-hmm. going to be sending you, but when it's uh, more amateur or independent, um, what have you found to be helpful? Um, also what, what, um, format of a file should we bring you for mastering? Uh it should, should be a WAV file. It should be 24 bit. It should be
1: probably at whatever sample rate you're recording and mixing at. Like um, so so if if the you, sessions ninety six. You so you yeah, 96. if you did if you did the session ninety six, just mix it at ninety six. If you did it at forty four then descend it at forty four or whatever. 48 Now, now
0: my session was uh, would have been thirty two ninety six, and mm-hmm. I probably just bounce the master file as a stereo interleaved thirty two ninety six. Mm-hmm. Is that appro- appropriate? Is there something I just don't understand about thirty two versus twenty four that I need to 30, understand? Thirty two is
1: fine. I mean, there's a weird thing with thirty two where you can like kind of. I've seen people make this mistake before where you can actually like, um, overrun it. It's like, you're almost like build it. You're, you're almost like going over zero. It's like it, 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 I don't quite know how people do it, but I'll have situations where I actually have to lower the file that they sent me to keep it from just clipping on playback. Oh, interesting. So, and you're working. So 32 bits fine if you know what you're doing. And I wish I had a better explanation of like how that happens. Um, you know, when people are, are mixing. Um, but, uh, yeah we usually just ask for twenty four bit um just because that's twenty four bits is um that's gonna be a useful delivery format um most things are are still gonna you know end up being forty four sixteen you know in terms of uh delivery but twenty four bits is a good place where um you know we're gonna get the best resolution to start with for mixing um yeah just keep it at whatever sample rate you were working at don't you know, I think some of you will like record it at a lower and then think, oh, we'll mix at 96 and we'll get, you know, cause we're going through the console. We'll, you're not really going to get a lot back from that. Just keep it, keep it, keep it. Um,
0: okay, cool. Keep it straightforward. Um, let's say this, um, we've printed our own mix and we're about to try and master it again. We would do print our mix at the full resolution of whatever our session was. And then if we were going to start a new mastering session, would we start it at that high resolution and and where and when do you change the resolution down to one if you if you're going to a CD is, is so that, anybody going to a CD anymore not a lot
1: not a lot of CDs but we do but 4416 does seem to still be useful for some of the services that distribute to like Spotify Apple and all that that's what they still want so that is generally what we we go down to just and also that's in terms of a full resolution um you know, format that's like the lowest, right? You're not gonna go below that. So like I always kind of feel like if it sounds good at forty four sixteen, then you know, if we started at forty eight twenty four, then that's only gonna be just, you know, marginally right. better. Yeah. So um for me, I master at whatever um sample rate the the uh the source comes in at Interesting. Uh, okay. and, and take it all the way through at that rate. And then I go down to forty four sixteen after it's after it's totally done. Um, I, that's changed in, in the time I've been mastering, we used, I used to do everything at 44 because everything was going to CD and there right. weren't, there weren't all these other formats. So usually I would go out analog, whatever separate they sent it and then capture back at 44 and then stay at 44. But now there's, you know, there's oftentimes calls where people are wanting high resolution masters for, you know, like like for a service like Tidal that actually offers that or um, those are great for uh, for vinyl cutting potentially is to have you know you might as well there's yeah, no limitation the range and yeah you might as well, you might as well you might as well keep it as high as possible and sample rate conversions got a lot lot better over the last you know 10 15 years so I'm I don't feel I don't feel bad about converting something down to 4416 at the end whereas you know uh, You know, 10 years ago, I wasn't so convinced that the separate conversion was going to do a good enough job. It was better just to recapture in it at the separate you needed.
0: So question about conversion. Um, If we're, you know, DIY mastering something in Pro Tools, for example, would we export that new mastered file as a WAV file in the high resolution format? And then what would be a good tool to just simply convert that to a lower format? Would you just sort of offline convert it with some tool or would you Yeah, that's that's Would you what, sort of export I mean, that that's of, basically what I do. I mean, I,
1: I use I use the um, Isotope RX software to to do sample conversion.
0: Oh, okay. Just just the RX software just load that file yeah, in and Yeah, and but it, has like, it has it has like a
1: like a resample function or something. I think that's what they call it. And yeah, I, I use that. I've you know, I've I've um I've used a couple other things in the past, um but you I would definitely say that um when you are doing your your mastering session, when you capture your, like, say you set up your EQ, your limiter, all that stuff, and then you do an, an export or wherever, I am not super Pro Tools literate, so no, that's all right, that's all right. <laughs> but you know, whatever you do to get that, the, is leave it at that same highest resolution because that's going to allow your plugins to to make the least comp, least amount of compromises. And you know, and then once you have that, so if you were at like forty eight twenty four mastered at forty four twenty four, then you are gonna have a or forty eight twenty four you're gonna have a 4824 file right. and then take that and convert it.
0: Okay, cool. Good advice. See, they, these are the kind of things that we're like when we get there, we're like, I don't know what the best way is, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, and then you have plugins that give you dithering, you know, like a lim- your limiter plugin will have some other bitrate and dithering option. <laughs> you're like, good Lord, what manual do I have to read to understand this Christ. choice? You know? So I like hearing that you can just use something like RX to simply take the file and convert it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um Two quick questions, and then we'll 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 head towards the wrap up here. Um, what, where are we headed in the future for file formats and ways that we're going to listen to and consume music that you're excited about? And how does loudness, how's that going to play into all those kind of things? That's a
1: very good question. Right now, I mean, every, obviously everything's headed towards streaming. That's where that's where everything you know, like whereas. 10 years ago, everything was going to CD. Now everything's going to streaming.
0: My car doesn't even have a CD player. The only yeah. way you can listen to music is the radio or plugging a phone into it.
1: Right. Yeah. And the, and most cars are, are like that. I know. No. It's going to yeah. be
0: a bummer when phones are obsolete. Yeah. I was I'm actually excited that the, 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 the car, car I got I actually I mean? has a CD player. <laughs> I was
1: like, oh yeah, I got a car that still has a CD player and I've used it like twice. Dude. <laughs> oh yeah. Because
0: I can plug my phone into it and, and, you know, and it's, you know, it's just more convenient. Yeah. I mean, my last car, uh, the Volvo had both a CD player and a cassette player. Oh, nice. I would love to have a cassette player. It would be cool. I mean, it was cool. I actually use a cassette player more than the CD, but that's also because CDs were get started getting stuck in the CD player. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, we're definitely headed towards streaming. So that's,
1: I mean, or we're not headed toward it. We're there. Um, so, and, you know, there's a whole issue now with streaming and volume normalization. So, you know, like spotify is sort of like the one that's really leading the charge on it but apple but all the services do it and they all sort of do it differently which is what's kind of making life difficult for mastering engineers right Indeed, now yeah so they're all basically like taking your your whatever you submit to them and they're deciding you know how loud it is by analyzing it and on a scale and then turning it up or down so that theoretically everybody plays at the same volume and we don't and so that when you're when you're playlisting things, you're not gonna need to, you know, turn it, turn it up, turn it down, turn it up, turn it down. So, theoretically, it should make mastering uh, loudness and mastering less critical. Right. But right. it's gonna take a while for people to trust that.
0: Right. Because, well, first of all, like, and I said, depending on how loud you master, too, that the, the um, it can sound different on different formats because one format might play it. Without changing the level, another might play it by turning it down.
1: And we've had situations where the different services have different target levels. And then also, some services come with the volume normalization defaulted on, and some come with it defaulted
0: off. Right. And it just depends on where the preference switch was left. Yeah. yeah. And and,
1: and usually, wherever, like when you install the software, wherever the, the company has decided to make it either default on, default off. 90% 90% of the people are never going to change that. Right. They're, They're not going to go, go know dive, it's there. dive. Like us engineers, yeah, we're going to go in and like, you know, oh, I'm going to turn this on and whatever. Yeah. But like a lot of people aren't going to. So I think, you know, if everyone did it the same and we knew exactly how to predict it, then I think it, there's the potential for, like I said, for loudness not being as important because if you make a master that's slightly quieter, it just, you know, won't be turned down as much than the one that's really loud and they'll play at the same level and it'll actually um, you know, the, the concern over competitive loudness will, will lessen and we'll be able to do more what's best for the music as opposed to being like, boy, it sounds really great like this, but we really feel like we need another DB and a half to make it as loud as right. this other band that we're, you know, our, our peers. And um, which is, you know, kind of what's happened with, with mastering.
0: Now, um, now how do you navigate um, the variations in streaming now? Do you have, um, do you have a gut sense of where you what's going to work, or do you use tools for that? And then um, slightly loaded question, but are you aware of one of the plugins that's new called Loudness Penalty um, that comes from Ian Shepard I did not know that. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so um, that's, so a, that's a pretty uh that's yeah, a pretty explosive name for it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly, exactly. He's um, he's a podcast <laughs> mate of yours as, as a, a previous guest on the show okay. a couple of times too, and a, a good friend. Um, but it's a plugin that. You can put on the end of your chain, and it will show you whether you're on a, on a variety of different services, whether you're going to get turned up or turned down. Right. And if you click on it, it will also do the turn up, turn down compensation, and so you can hear those level changes to yeah. kind of – Yeah, the, right and
1: new Gen makes a, a one that's similar, that does a similar thing. Okay, dig it. Yeah. Yeah, which – I found that I haven't th- this one you're talking about. I haven't seen. Um, yeah, it's from the, MeterPlugs.com. Yeah, the new gen one. I, I mean, I felt I felt it a little bit um, unwieldy to work with. Like it wasn't super efficient. And
0: I think I'm to, still reading the manual on that one.
1: Yeah. So it, we're 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 all in a learning phase with this. And you know, I think that um, as mastering engineers, I think we would we be we'd all be comfortable mastering things. You know, not worrying about volume quite so much but um, like i said it's hard to get um, artists to it, because we can't audition these things for real like we don't have a we don't have spotify's algorithm exactly we can't so we can't 100% predict what's going to happen so to try to tell a band to take 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 a flying leap and a guess and just go ahead and put it out there and then trust me that it's going to sound loud enough It's it. That's a hard. Yeah, it is hard. hard. You know, versus versus if I had a tool that said like, come into the studio, or or you can download this thing and and listen to and now you can listen to exactly what your thing sounds like, and then you can listen to this other band, and you can tell that they're the same level. Then I think people would be like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's make it. Let's make it. The you know, we're cool with this slightly lower level. Because because it actually because we great. know because we know it's going to be fine when it comes out. Yeah, on, actually, on that's end.
0: what loudness penalty will do for you. And there's a free one too called loudnesspenalty.com, mm-hmm. where you can just pull it up um, on the browser window. You just drop your mix on it. It's going to analyze it, and then it'll just play it back at those levels. You flip over to the next browser tab, and you go listen on Spotify or YouTube or yeah. Amazon or Title, and you get that kind of instant comparison. Right. So that's pretty cool. Um, all right, dig it. Um, We've we've hit the, the two hour mark, so we can uh we can go towards the finish <laughs> line here. Uh Rockstars. Um so I, I you know, whether there's a question or you know, if you want to share a story about it, Rockstars, I, I did put together a YouTube playlist of Ryan's work, which includes amazing sounding records from Greta Van Fleet, Al King, ACDC, and uh even John Lennon. Do you wanna share a story about working on that? Oh, that was project? Yeah, that
1: was really exciting.
0: So um that was a project I did right at the at the end of my tenure
1: in New York right before we moved um they did a a box set of imagine that was like a complete like one of the, it was like it hit one of its anniversaries I can't remember what number it was but um as part of the box set, they went back and took the the Maltese, which was um of the basic tracks only so there were basically it was it was a there were five people in, involved in the basic there was drums bass uh keyboards guitar and john who sometimes played keyboards, some played guitar and they basically did a remix of the record with just those elements because then that record has got a lot of production with the phil specter lay, layered on top strings and a bunch of effects and all that this is like almost completely without effects and it's just like it's basically the, what happened in the room, and so we did it not only we did it in stereo, but also in surround. And then in the surround mix, in the uh, in the five ones surround mix, they he, um, the engineer Rob Stevens put um, each instrument in each of the five speakers. So John's right in front in, in the center channel, and then um, on the left speak in the left speaker, you have the, the keyboard player Nikki Hopkins, and on the right channel you've got George Harrison who played guitar oh,
0: and then so on
1: the the rear right is the bass Klaus Foreman and then there's a couple different drummers on it and there, there
0: and the, wow what a cool concept
1: throwing yeah, the bass so, behind your head too yeah so the bass and drums are behind your head so you, the idea is that you're like is it, if you get in a proper five, one setup, you're like, you're sitting in the middle of the room where, where they were. And then they did a bunch of outtakes as well. So you hear like, you know, studio banter, them talking to each other, you know, breaking each other's balls, that kind of stuff. It's, That's really it's pretty fun. cool. But um, yeah, so that was really exciting. So we did, we did that as, as a stereo and then this, the stereo just kind of folded that forward, kind of put the drums in the bass panned opposite. And right. then the, that the was other five, ends. one
0: format. Yeah, I think you said. Yeah. Um, now, are you are you going to be mastering for App, Dolby Atmos as well? Is that a whole other topic to discuss? Um, we've sort of
1: started talking about it. I don't know that there's really. We haven't figured out what mastering for that looks like because yeah. the way, you know, and I don't, I don't know enough about it yet. But um, I've heard it a bit. It's pretty interesting.
0: Well, I can I can explain why there will always be room for mastering, because mastering just makes your shit sound better. So whatever you're doing, <laughs> you just send yeah. it to you and it's going to come back better than it was. I appreciate you saying that.
1: Yeah. But uh, but it's tricky with that most because, you know, it's all like, it's like a, a thousand stems and all these kind of placements and all that. And to like the, you know, there's not really any one, like in, in a stereo mix where you had this like one, two track that just is the delivery. It's yeah. like, it's kind of all these elements. And how do you like, as a mastering engineer, do that? Within the framework that you know, the the software that they built to mix that stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess we'd also one. would have to build a room too, which like you know need,
0: needs like you know oh right seventy five speakers, 75 speakers yeah. or yeah. whatever yeah. and all that. Totally. Well, you know, but, next time you come back on the podcast, we'll talk all about it because you be yeah, like, right. Oh yeah, we built that room and here's what we're doing. I'm yeah, sure. sure. If it exists. Um, so let me jump to a closing question. Um, if you we're gonna this is hypothetical, but we're gonna take the Wayback Studio mastering machine. And you're going to go back in time, find young Ryan, um, say like, you know, you uh, you got to put down the ducky if you want to play the saxophone. No, that's probably not the advice you give yourself. But you're going to go find <laughs> young young Ryan and say, listen, dude, I've come back to give you this one bit of advice. Here's the single most important thing you need to know or be focused on to be a rock star of the studio yourself one day. What, what advice would you like to go back and give yourself if you could? Um, I would say
1: that when you start working in music and in studios is um, take advantage of all the people you meet and not take advantage of them, but you know what I mean? Take advantage <laughs> of, of those relationships and, um, you know, try to make as the best connections you can with people because this, this business is like, it's all about collaboration it's all about working with other people and you never know where that next opportunity is going to come from. And I've definitely in my own career, there's been things that I've snoozed on that I look back and, and like, I didn't even know I was, you know, maybe I just like blew somebody off or whatever. I didn't even think about it at the time Then you look back and you'd be like, wow, that was a super missed opportunity. And then there's other times where like an opportunity came and I was, I was ready for it. And I said, yes. And it made all the difference. So, um, you know, I feel like, you know, making music is not like, it's not a real organized profession. Like where you like, Oh, I'm going to get this entry level position. Then I'm going to get promoted to this and then I'll be a manager. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of all over the place and you kind of never know where it'll take you. So just, you know, make sure that, you know, you're good to the people you work with and, yeah. um,
0: and always be, you know,
1: communicating and take advantage of all the opportunities that opportunities that come your way.
0: Yeah. I've, I pictured a tree when you were saying that too, like with all these myriad possibilities of what direction you can go. It's just like, Keep It well watered, you know, yeah, absolutely. Keep everything healthy, absolutely. So that, uh, yeah, which I, I think, I think all on.
1: that stuff, like if you really want to work in this business, is more important than I mean, you got to know all the technical stuff, you got to be good at that stuff, and that's just sort of but that's that's stuff anybody can learn,
0: right? And you will learn it because you'll be doing this for a long time. And guess what? It takes a long time to do this yeah. stuff, so but if you're but if you don't have but if you don't have people to do it with, then you're just going to be on your own, and right, you know, <laughs> right? Well. Man, thank you so much for sharing all this incredible wisdom on the podcast. And, and uh, you know, we're in a unique time with with the, the podcast and being able to learn, you know, you because you really, you know, a listener is listening somewhere who it doesn't have anybody around to, to learn this stuff from, but has a chance to learn it from you here through the magic of the internet. <laughs> um, so thank you so much, Ryan. An absolute My Absolute pleasure, pleasure hanging pleasure with you. Me. And um, let the rock stars know how they can find you online, and how can they follow you, and uh, how do they contact you with their next great masterpiece? Yeah, for this, um, for mastering.
1: well, you know, if you go to uh, sterling-sound.com, is that's our website, and you know, I've got an engineer page there, and a link to my manager if you need to. If you're looking to book a session, um, I'm RKS Whit Smith on Instagram. Um, it's pretty easy, probably pretty easy to find me. All right, dig it. My alarm keeps going off because I go go pick up my son from marching band practice. Oh man, I
0: got to get you out the door. I'm good, dude. I I got time.
1: I just, I said it early enough so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't snooze on it. Good thinking. Good thinking.
0: Um, Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Rockstars. Reminder, you'll find links to everything we're talking about in the show notes. Just go to rsrockstars.com or if you're on your mobile device now listening, just sort of swipe up and right below the player is usually where all the show notes are. You can just click right through. And you don't even have to remember the things we say. You can just click right over to the show notes and go check it out. All right. Um, thanks so much, dude. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Welcome to Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. All right, man. See you soon. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, then please share this episode with your friends on social media and leave a rating and review on iTunes to help the podcast reach more rockstars like yourself. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to rsrockstars.com review for an easy explanation. And remember to hit the subscribe button to keep up with weekly episodes. And if you're ready to make your best record ever now, then head over to Recording Studio Rockstars Academy, where you can start with my Free course at mixmasterbundle.com, and if you want more free content from Recording Studio Rockstars, all you have to do is go to rsrockstars.com/email. Again, that's rsrockstars.com/email to enter your name and email, and I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, podcast updates, and even free gear giveaways for your studio. Just look for the link in the show notes below. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for being a rockstar. I'm Lyd Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make. Make great music.